All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. This is the brother, yeah, known as Quest Lover, yeah, and I'm a Suprema Roll Call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. I want a new drug. Yeah. I want old drugs too. Yeah. Just give me all your drugs. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. I'm unpaid bill. Yeah. And I can't complain. Yeah. Don't need no credit card. Yeah. To ride this fucking train. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema Roll Call. Well, Bill's my name. Yeah. Here's my roll call rhyme. Yeah. Oh man, I'm, I'm off beat. Yeah. Gotta get back in time. Oh. Roll Call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema Roll Call. It's like Ia. Yeah. With Huey Lewis. Yeah. If this is it. Yeah. yeah. I'm cool with it. <laughs> Say what? Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Huey. Yeah. I'm six feet tall. Yeah. I'm president accounted for. Yeah. At the Suprema roll call. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Su- su- Suprema roll call. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, man. <laughs> I've been looking homework. forward to this one. Me too. Yes, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Oh, yeah, welcome. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. Uh, I am your host, uh, Questlove, and we thank you for joining us. Uh, joining us is uh, Team Supreme. We got uh, Boss Bill in the house. Hello, Woo. hello. And uh, Unpaid Bill in the house. Yeah. 
And we have uh, Sugar Steve. That's correct. Yeah. And we have uh, Laia. Damn, thank, thank God you got it right. Yeah. Well, I never get your name wrong. Oh, that's true. Okay. I don't know why he stuttered. Yeah. Anyway. I will uh, say that our guest today is one of my personal favorites. Um, he's a fine singer. It's steeped in the tradition of what, I, what I'll say is blue-eyed blues with a tinge of uh, raspy soul on the side. Um, a hell of a blues harp man. Definitely a hell of a... Um, he's fronted one of the, in my opinion, one of the sharpest uh, units in music. Um, over 20 top 10 singles. Sold plenty, uh, 30 million, a count of 30 million albums uh, in the past 30 plus years. I, I don't want it to sound 40 you're, years. It sounds like a lot. You're, um, you're embarrassing me now. <laughs> We've just begun. Um, not to mention, uh, I'd like to say that, you know, what can't be ignored is uh, their foray into really effective music videos and, and using humor and, per, and personality uh, during the age of the dawning of MTV's rise, really captured the hearts of millions. I'm trying my hardest to not sound like uh, Patrick uh, Bateman of uh, <laughs> American Psycho. Um, he has fronted one of my favorite, favorite, favorite units. Uh, I'll say that their their live performance kicks ass. Their harmonies are bar none. Mm -hmm. The music, everything's in there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Questlove Supreme, Sir Hugh Anthony Craig the Third, yeah. known as <laughs> Hugh Lewis, yes. the Questlove Supreme. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Great how, to be here. How goes it? Good, good, good. I had a little trouble getting here. You know, I'm I live in Montana. Oh, <laughs> really? So, yeah. So more, more cheese, less rats. So, <laughs> so you're 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 just a lifetime nomad. Kinda. Really. Well, I've been on the road, for, you know, forever. Uh, we, you know, f I have a driver who reminded me that since I, you know, lost my hearing here a year and nine months ago, and haven't been able to work because I can't hear music well enough. But um, so I've been in one place sometimes more than. But my driver reminded me that after forty years of driving me, he can't ever remember me being in one place for more than three weeks. I was going to say, like, I I know of your history of of traveling since your youth where do you i won't say where do you consider home but what's your sentimental that's home san francisco okay more importantly when all is said and done where would you like to rest probably montana really probably montana it's beautiful air is clean you got Not animals. You got animals we got up tons there. Tons of animals. Wow. All kinds of wildlife. We got horses and so are, you lived on you live on a ranch, I assume. I do a little ranch. Yeah. So you and Kanye know something that <laughs> none of us <laughs> see. None see? of us know. Well, Sentence never see. uttered before. So this is the thing, I never start the show on at the end. But sell me on Montana. Like tell me why. Because you know something, Kanye knows something. I'm hearing a few other celebrities. Sort of unspoiled, not too many people, more critters. You know, it's just out. If you like the outdoors, and I love the outdoors, it's a, uh, it's it's a great place. Does Kanye love the outdoors? Well, he loves Montana. Okay, we've I mean, we've mentioned Kanye way too much on this episode. <laughs> can we can we move on, please? <laughs> yes. And he's Wyoming. 
Wyoming anyway. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah, Wyoming, not Montana. Oh, damn. I thought it was Montana. Either way, they don't want no more celebrities Where, what, out in these what places. Is it? Okay. He's Wyoming. in Wyoming. Oh. I take that back. Okay, Kanye mm-hmm. does not well, live in Montana. a whole different deal. I could have sworn, <laughs> sworn it was Montana. Way different deal than Montana. <laughs> I don't know. Just think of like a, a home on the ranch. And oh, the that. deer are different down there. It's way different. Really? Okay. Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> so where were you born? New York City, Manhattan. You were born, what part? Right here, French Hospital. Wow. But I mean, what part of Manhattan were you? Yeah, I don't know. Where was the French Hospital? <laughs> we weren't allowed to know. Midtown, maybe, son. I don't know. Okay. How, how long did you stay in Manhattan? About a year. Oh, oh as a baby. And I got tired of the, the <laughs> house and the bus. <laughs> no more than three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> how, when did music enter your life? Real early on, my dad was a was a drummer. My dad was a was a radiologist by trade, but a jazz drummer by by uh, hobby. Okay, and, and he loved and he played piano as well, and he played with a jam band, and there was a oh, I mean with a jazz band, and there was always a set of drums set up in our in our uh, living room, and he taught me play drums initially. Okay, and he would play jazz music. That with no singers, he hated singers. <laughs> okay, uh, you know he, he thought singers way. just kind of got in the way. Yeah, and so I, naturally, I, I gravitated toward toward the vocals side of things. You know. Oh, okay, okay. So, he, what, what did your mom do? My mom was an artist, and uh, she was born in Poland, and escaped during the war. Lived in Brazil for about four or five years. Moved to New York City. Was a commercial artist here in New York City. Her parents finally got out of Poland. And arrived in, uh, he was a dye chemist and knew about, and, and they were pretty wealthy and so on, and moved to Lawrence, Mass. And then, uh, tragically, my grandparents, my mother's parents, uh, committed suicide together, oh. which was a real tough deal on my mom. And she switched and, and kind of dropped out at that point. She was an artist. And so she, my dad realized he had to get her out of here and moved to California, moved to San Francisco when I was five. And my mom fell in with the hippies and became like the very first hippie, my mom. <laughs> so she was part of that Timothy Leary generation. All of that stuff. Tuning. All so of that. what does that entail? Like, I always, you know, I hear of like tune in, drop out. And is it just like stop trying to conform to what society wants us to do and just like live by the moment? And I think so. I think that's initially what it was. Yeah. So and did there, you and, grow up in a commune was, and, out there? And there or? was some LSD involved. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So that made everything a little easier. <laughs> so Tell me about it. Was it sort of a... <laughs> oh, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> drugs and drugs and drugs and drugs. <laughs> so in San Francisco... There's just a fist bump between Huey and Steve for those that missed that a little uh, bit. So in San Francisco, were you kind of in a commune commute like no no because my 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 mom my dad had sort of resisted all that and they just divorced when i was 11 and okay when i was 12 i went i I skipped second grade so i went away to school in in new jersey in a prep school in new jersey wait a minute logically (laughs) (laughs) you on tour even yeah So, how did that make you feel inside? Like just this consistent going back and forth. It was a little crazy, to be honest. Uh, my did you that, make friends easily? Or I didn't because I was moving so much, you know. So I had to kind of rely on myself. I grew up pretty fast that way. I actually went to prep school in New Jersey with coat and tie, all boys. Okay, and neither one of my parents has ever been there, so Whoa. they just kind of sent me off. Wow. And I was I was 
13. Were you the only child? No, I had a brother, a younger brother, five years younger. Okay. And he stayed with my mom. My mother had custody, but my father petitioned the court to allow me to go to this prep school saying this was a smart kid or something, you know, whatever whatever he told them. But uh, <laughs> How they, long were you away? I was like, well, I'd go back in summertime, you know, uh-huh. Christmas. Christmas and summer. Okay. But I was away for four years for the most part. Hmm. Sounds like a... And then I read. Bit. Then I. Gra- <laughs> <laughs> it depends. He was independent though, because what was that like as a boy in prep school? You have freedom in a different way than most kids do in a way, because you're like it's like college, but for kids. Yeah, I mean, I was horribly homesick when I first left, obviously, uh, but you know, you can get used to pretty much anything, and uh, after a while, I was fine. And I'm so- sure it was a girls' school down the street. <laughs> you went to a girls. I said, I'm sure it was a girls' school down the street. Not down. Da- like Dead Poets Society down the street. <laughs> not everything is Dead Poets Society. Know, like, like, just so we're clear, that's a movie. So, what was your describe? Well, wait. Before you do that, do you remember the first record you purchased? Yep. What was it? Quarter to three. Gary U.S. Bonds. Gary U.S. Bonds. Okay. I don't know that I dance, I dance and then, uh, or might have been Wild One, Bobby Rydell. Okay. Our little bitty pretty one. Those are the first three I remember. So you your post doo wops, early British rock and start, but immediately became a R and B snob. You know, I started playing harmonica and became a blues R and B snob. Mm-hmm. Hated contemporary stuff, just all of that until I joined my first band, which was after prep school. Uh, well, I, I took a year off and bummed around Europe. I t- took my harmonica and. My my old man made me do that. He I graduated from from prep school a year young because I'd skipped second grade. Right, and he said to me, I was sixteen. He said, "Look, you're sixteen years old. As far as I'm concerned, all the decisions are yours. You do whatever you want. Only one more thing I want to make you do." I said, "What's that?" He said, "Don't go to college yet." <laughs> I said, "Really? Well, I want to go to school. I'm going. You know, I, I was accepted at Cornell. I said, I really want to go to. He says, "No, no, take a year off and bum around Europe." I said, but dad, I was going to play ball and all this. He's, it's the last thing I'm like, so I did. I took so it's like a tester. Like what happened when to the father kind of puts parenting? his son in the woods to see if he can yeah. survive the black folks kind of, don't know. The wolf. Black folks, that doesn't happen to black folks. White kids folks. get sent away to Europe. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> and he just threw me away to Europe. I and wish told my me. father nah, said, our challenge was just escaping bullets. Or finding college tuition. I'm going to soften that a little bit. You know. Oh, that. No, I couldn't afford it, so I just got a record deal. <laughs> so, But to, wait, 16 in Europe? How does that work? Did you need permission? It was 1966, 67. There was no TSA. So it wasn't that, wasn't that big deal. Damn, wasn't, no, TSA, wasn't no TSA, no. No LSD, no TSA. I need him no to walk LSD. us through this. Like, was it a hostel situation? No, you didn't stay at a hostel. No, no, no. Huey Lewis didn't stay at a yeah, hostel. Well, I stayed, at, I stayed at a buddy. I had a... Al from prep school, uh-huh. English exchange student. I stayed at his house in London for a few days, and then I met a guy from South Africa, Michael Jefferson. Together, we hitchhiked all the way through Europe and all that stuff. And I would go every night. We'd go to the youth hostel, and I'd just play harp in the in the square. Not and all you white busk. people are rich. <laughs> <laughs> Not every single one of them. Okay, just the ones in this. Some room. play harp in the square for money. To- <laughs> Say at the he hospital. didn't say that. Okay, so 
All right, as a fellow busker, I got to ask you what what That's were the oh. what were the going what were the going rates for it? I'm assuming this is uh, 68, 67. Yeah. What was a all right for me in 1992? Sixty to eighty dollars was like date night. That was, (laughs) you know, like I mean, it was four of us, so we, you know, thirty. You know, you were killing that. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a sandwich at Wawa, and you know, (laughs) an afternoon movie. That's a date. Was it? Was it at a not do or die? um, Survival? What? Yeah, like what. For you, what was like? Okay, I made it through the day, or was it day to day? Like, what yeah, am I going I mean, to do? Like, I did, like, I remember in Africa, in in Mer- wait, 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 not Europe. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> no, Europe. But I got to North Africa. We went down to North Africa. What via Italy? I went. And- to, I went to Marrakesh in Morocco for just to see it, and then I got so stoned I couldn't leave for three months. <laughs> <laughs> We were going to leave every day, but then we'd wake up and, oh, shit. You're the life you know? that Steve wished he lived. <laughs> You're seven, is it 17, Huey? Are you, how old are you? Yeah, let's see. I was 17. Wow. That's right. Oh, my God. Wow. Huey Lewis. What a blessing. I mean, You're still what's here. What's the decision to go to Morocco? Like, hey, you want to go just, was it a boat from Italy that just right across the water? Or what do you mean? How did I get there? No, yeah. why did you choose Morocco? Like, no, I flew to London. Uh-huh. Right. And then I, and that's another long story, but then I hitchhiked <laughs> all the way from London, all the way through France, down through Spain, took the little ferry to That's when you Mar- could do that. See, he hitchhiked. He didn't have a limousine. I got it. <laughs> he hitchhiked. He hitchhiked. <laughs> but there was a stowaway story, too. Yeah, I, I wanted to get back to that. I heard that you stowed away on a plane to on okay, the plane well, that, to that's an interesting story, actually. <laughs> As, as I was Wait, hit- how does one do that? That's, that's what I want to know. Really. Well, go. <laughs> I didn't really stow away. Okay. I, I thought okay. I could stow away, but but uh, this was, remember, 1967 or 68, probably 67 or 68, right in there. And I hitchhiked across the country first and to go to Europe. And right. then I stayed with my buddies at, at Harvard who were <laughs> at school there for a minute. Didn't and, see that coming. And then, <laughs> and then, I, gotcha. then I went back down to New York here and I went to... Okay. And while I was hitchhiking across the country, a, a guy picked me up and told me, I said, I'm trying to get to Europe. He says, well, you know, um, but I, I, you know, I don't have that much money. I had, I think I started off with $300 and the plane tickets were like 250 in those days. Okay. And so I said, I don't have that much money. I can't spend it all on a ticket. And he said, well, you know, you can still away. And he showed me, he t- told me about this idea where you get this, you know, the jacket, the ticket goes in, in the old days, you used to take a special silver pen and write on the, the jacket. And, and all they looked at was the jacket. They never right. actually yeah, took the yeah, ticket. Yeah, I remember that. This is before, you know, uh, computers. Yeah, when they scan your ticket. And all yeah, this yeah. stuff. So, so he says, he, or he says, you can stow away on this freight airline, too. So I, I hitchhiked back down to the Muppets. To what then was Idlewild. <laughs> wow, Idlewild Airport, which is uh, now Kennedy Airport, and Outcast was there. And I, <laughs> I went to the uh, uh, freight place, and I couldn't get across. They couldn't figure that out. So I went back to the terminal, the TWA place, and I just I laid there for you know I just kind of stayed there for till midnight, and I befriended this uh, agent, a uh, TWA ticket agent. So you know, a buddy I was hitching who tells me there's a way you can kind of sneak in and bowl. He said, I'll tell you what, if you wait till I get off, I'll show you. And I waited till I get off. Whoa. 
Yo, the collective jaw drop in this room right now. Like, so he 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 explained to me that you get the jacket. You got a jack a, a jacket out of the you know those envelopes out of the drawer, and he had a special silver pen. He says you need this fucking silver. And then pen. he says you write on the outside L- London LHR what? flight seven oh two, and then he says and then go into the gate real early. And just kind of make yourself invisible, and it'll fill up. And then when you get on the airplane, all they're going to do is look at your jacket and then go take the seat, middle seat over the wing. And then he said, and then, but not your, write the middle seat over the wing and take the another terrible seat in case they say, oh, you're not in, someone else takes your seat. You say, oh, my seat's up there. And then you go, but, the, but none of these flights were full in these days. So the middle seat over the wing was like the last one to go. So... He says, I said, wow, that, what happens if I get caught? He says, the only way you're going to get caught is she, at the end of the deal, she's going to count all the people on the airplane, and it's not going to jibe with all the people they had that on checked the in at the podium. Mm-hmm. He says, but you're only going to be one off, and she's going to, th- they're not going to hold the flight up. They're just going to go. <laughs> wow. I said, great. He says, if you want to be really safe, he says, you can buy a ticket and then just put it in the jacket, but don't give them the ticket, and when you and keep the, keep the ticket. And if you if it works, you get over when you get to London, you refund the ticket. And if they find you out, you give them the ticket. And that's what I did. Oh, that's the smart Yo, way. Your yeah. hustle game is fucking yeah. orange. Yeah. Yeah. Silver it? pens and refund yeah. tickets. Wow. Shit, Huey Lewis. How long, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm just curious. <laughs> when does the this finesse game like when? What year do you think it was stopped? Like you couldn't <laughs> computer. 2000, computers. 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 Yeah. yeah. Damn. Computers stopped everything. Wow. Ruined everything. You can't even get a TSA without a ticket now. It's fucked up. No TSA, no No TSA? Hey, there were not only were there no security, you just walked right on the airplane, but they gave you a little packet of cigarettes that you could smoke <laughs> on the on the airplane. Steve, you do wish free you were cigarettes. Here with this. Oh, oh, wow. Little tiny four pack cigarettes. Go go smoking back on in time. They're back yeah. in time. No, I'm like, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound so cool. Like, oh, man. Smoking never... on airplanes. Can you imagine? <laughs> every every armrest had a little ashtray in it. I remember. remember and, the and in the bathroom, it had it on the, in the, on the yeah. wall. Yeah. What's scary to me is when you get on an airplane now and you still see the ashtray. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this fucking plane is old as fuck. <laughs> like, get me the hell off this thing. It's really, it's yeah, I remember once I embarrassed the living crap out. Uh, no, my mom's listening to this story. One of my very first plane trips, went to the bathroom, and there were, um, you know, they would have napkins there and whatnot and like feminine uh, oh. napkins as well. <laughs> and so Please I thought, oh, pads. Me. So I took like oh, God. about oh, no. 10 pads <laughs> okay. and I was in the front row there in the back. I said, mom, do I, I got you. <laughs> like, hold said, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my. Yeah, Don't worry, mom. I got you. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, that should be like an advertising campaign. Totally. Like, hey, mom, I got you. Tampax, Tampax by Questlove. Don't worry, ma, I got, I got you. you. <laughs> Ooh, fuck, that's awesome. So, do you remember the first concert you went to? Good segue. Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I'm, or it, a memorable it, concert. It for might be Paul Butterfield. At uh, here in New York, at the uh, Fillmore East. No, one over before, way before Fillmore. We're talking 1964, 65. Town Hall. Oh, the Town Hall. I was born in Chicago in 
And okay. it was yeah. so it was so crowded that, that I got a seat, as I remember it. I mean, I know I got the seat. And I don't know how I on the stage. They, oh, they, put, wow. they put seats on the stage, and I sat on the stage and saw Bob Butterfield with Mike Bloomfield, Elvin Bishop, right, wow. Jerome Arnold on bass, mm-hmm. Sam Lay on drums. Yeah, they were awesome. They wow. that's, they took that was it. And this is. Pre well, sixty four was like kind of pre probably sixty. Their psychedelic might, might be sixty five. Okay, like that pre psychedelic. Yeah. So was that a moment for you where you're like, maybe I could do this? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I want to do this. I don't know if I can or not, but that's happening. <laughs> so how did that? So I was already playing harmonica a little bit. You know. How did that lead you to, to Clover? Go into how Clover came into. Well, then, uh, well, I took a year off, bummed around Europe after after high school. Like Dad said, played harmonica all the time. <laughs> went back, went to Cornell. I was an engineering student at Cornell, as you do. <laughs> well, I had it all before in prep school, so I got. I didn't even hardly have to go to class my freshman year, and I got a four It was no problem because I had. I literally had it all before prep yeah, school. You were you were a math whiz, right? Kind of, you know. Perfect score on the SAT, kind of. Like that kind of thing. Okay. I had, I had, Why you? Dwayne Wayne? Yes. <laughs> Dwayne Wayne have 800? No, no, no. D- Dwayne Wayne, uh, a fictional. Oh. Fucking yeah. different world. I yeah. 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 A, a deep, fictional character that always scored a perfect on his math SATs. With the Konishiwa. Yeah, yeah but I, uh, and so after that year off, I went back to Cornell, and I went to engineering school. And I went in, and that was not near as much fun as bumming around Europe with a harmonica. Right. And so uh, I joined the bands, and I, I didn't really have to go to class much. So I played in fraternity bands until my sophomore year, it started catching up with me, you know? Right. <laughs> so about halfway through the sophomore year, and that was the year at Cornell where um, the uh, African American Student Society took over the World Trade Hall, and there was all that Protesting, stuff. Yeah, and the yeah. SDS and all that stuff. So you could take pass fail. Was the good news? So we took oh, pass yeah. fail. That was another semester I got under my belt. <laughs> and, and, what in the luck of God? I wish life and then was, I was pass dead. fail. I knew, and it caught up with me. So I, I, I called my old man. I said, "Pops, I'm, I'm dropping out. I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and be a musician." He went, "Whatever." You <laughs> <laughs> Who is your father? This is fabulous. He said, "Go for it. I, you know, you did what I you, you did your bum around Europe. I told you I wasn't going to tell you what to do. Your life is your own. Good luck. Wow. Good parenting. Yeah. Fuck. Well, it, it looked like pretty bad parenting <laughs> for, the, for the first ten years or fifteen years. Let me tell you. As a parent, good for your father for just being like, do what you want. During the formative years before you formed Clover." Uh, did you have any interaction with any notable uh, future singers, songwriters, like anyone that... That's a good question. Let me think. Not really. I mean, I... <laughs> At least I'm he trying. thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why did that take me so long? <laughs> so, a, like, no, pause. no running into Springsteen during his days of bar banding? No, I didn't see that. I'd see, no, I mean, Butterfield was a was a thing for me. And then when I, went, when I dropped out, I went back to San Francisco. And then I started going to, uh, you know, the Fillmore and, and seeing that stuff and seeing, uh, you know, Aretha with King Curtis uh-huh. at the Fillmore Auditorium. Yo, you were there, were there for those recordings? Like, well, wow. once, one night. Well, they eventually, since then, released all, all of them. Eight yeah. nights. Yeah. 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 It was unbelievable. 
Wow. And, and you know there's video of that online too, right? I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was unbelievable. You know, the Fillmore holds about 800 people. People don't realize, the Fillmore, original Fillmore Auditorium, it's like 800 to 1,000 people. Oh, so the one that I play at has been expanded and... <laughs> <laughs> You, where this one over here, or the one? Oh, no, no, the one in Fillmore San Francisco. West. That was Fillmore. that was that was huge. Fillmore Winterland, right? Yes. Oh, you're talking about Fillmore the, East. The, the, no, the original Fillmore Auditorium, right, in San Francisco. Okay. Still, it's still a gig. Still there, but it only holds eight hundred thousand people. I didn't know that. In my mind, I thought it was like a three thousand. So. It seems like that. Okay. But go there again. We just worked there. Go. There. It's it's this tiny little place. It's tiny, and okay. you don't realize that at Hendricks. In this place like here, you had cream in oh, yeah. this place right here. It was unbelievable. Okay. When did you consider yourself a harp player or a vocalist or were both at the same time? Or when did you switch to from one to the other? Because you, well, you talk yeah. a lot about being a harpist, right? Yeah, I was mostly playing harmonica until I did my busking thing, and then I sang, and then I then I joined a band. And when when I get when I joined Clover, I sang like a song or two, you know. But my voice, rough as it is was not a 70s hairband, you know, Journey, Boston. Right. It wasn't happening. So I was an R&B guy, and so I just played harmonica in the Clover thing. So vocal-wise, who did you... Ray Charles. Okay. I, was... <laughs> Ray, I need to get the question out. There's no hesitation. That's your guy. That Do you and, want to take and the John, Miami's and, True questions? And Johnny Taylor. Um, I of mean, course. Yeah, I'm a Costello freak. So yep. um, who, who is every, it? everybody knows um, your connection to well, Clover's connection to My Aim Is True. Um, they were the backing band on that album. For those that don't know, thank you, Bill. Right, right. Sorry. So <laughs> yes, Clover was was um, I, I, well. Clover was first discovered by Nick Lowe in L.A. Right at uh, uh, actually yeah, by uh, it's a kind of a funny story because our Clover had made a record before I joined them. There was a kind of vintage uh, country rock. In fact, Clover had a record in the '60s where, where the on the cover there was John McPhee had hair down to he had, he had overalls on with hair down to his waist, and they and they're all stand they all had long hair and they're standing in front of six foot high marijuana plants. Well, <laughs> this was like '68. This Willie Nelson had a coat and tie on at this wow. point. Seriously, it was it was a, and the Dolly Porton Porter Wagner show was on, and Willie was on it, and, and there was no, and this was Clover. They were really ahead of their time, and um, so when I joined that band, uh, uh, we 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 labored for a while, and then Jake Riviera, who managed Elvis, and, and at the time was helping out with a group called Doctor Feelgood, and Feelgood was a. And he was. They asked Jake to road manage their trip to set to L.A. They were going to play at the CBS convention in L.A. And so, and they brought Nick Lowe along as a guitar roadie just for a free trip to <laughs> for, for sits and giggles for a free <laughs> trip do. to to America. So it was the Doctor Feelgoods, Jake and Nick Lowe. So we're playing the Palomino Club in L.A. Clover is it's a country club, you know, mm -hmm. country western club. We're playing the Palomino, and in walk these six guys in like gray suits and short hair, you know. We went, who are these guys? And it turned, it was Nick and Jake, because they'd seen that we were there, and they knew about Clover's first record. And they were big... Because they love country rock. That's yeah. it. They thought, they thought country rock, pub rock, was going to be the next big thing. Mm. So they signed us to Phonogram Records... And and we came to, we, and we and brought us over to England. We we're going to do it from the British side, from London. Well, the day we landed, 
Johnny Rotten spit in the face of the first NME reporter, and the game was on, man. <laughs> and, and we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But we did a lot of sessions, and the band, the core band, what, backed for, up Elvis. Sorry, to, he, what he means is punk rock has just started right, for right, people right. listening. Yeah, right. And uh, country rock was not necessarily going to happen gonna in happen, London right yeah. at Why that not? moment. Um, so then. Uh, so they were starting Stiff Records. They started right. Stiff Records, Jake and Dave together. They managed Elvis Costello, Nick Lowe, Graham Parker, Rat Scabies, The Damned, and then they created Stiff Records. And then, unfortunately, they had already signed us. So they stuck us. They realized that we were more, kind of an American band, so they uh, they got Mud Langer to produce our records in, in Wales. Uh, and, um, the Mud The Mud Langer. All right. This is before he ever had a hit. He, oh, before his he, magic period. He was okay. a staff producer at Phonogram, and he did I th- like some amazing amount of records a, a year, some like six or seven records a year, and and you know City Boy and all these acts that never happened, and uh, until you know until he kind of moved over here. What was his? What were his work habits like? Brilliant. Still the same. I mean, was yeah. it consistent all? Just an unbelievable work ethic. And, you know, he's brilliant. I mean, he's and just, that's all he does. He's just, a, he's, he, he, he's of one mind. He just loves, he just lays in the studio, man. Loves, loves it. Oh, okay. So, um, just to continue where you, yeah. where you left off. Um, so you, Clover wasn't on Stiff. They were on. Clover's on Phonogram Records. Did they move to Stiff? They didn't. Because Stiff, had, there was no Stiff when we first signed to Phonogram. Right. Jake and Dave signed, and then simultaneously, when Punk hit, they started Stiff Records. They signed all these bands, and we were still on Phonogram. And then they, uh, um, yeah. So then, I guess. Then they signed Elvis. They right. found Elvis. Uh, Jake gave him his name, I think. Declan right. McManus gave him Elvis Costello, and they. What was his name previously? Declan oh, McManus. McManus. We've known him forever. How come? Yeah, we... you did. You did a record with the man. You didn't know what his real name was. I didn't know. I thought wow. it was Elvis Costello. Yeah, what a dope name, though, Declan <laughs> Let me McManus. Get through That's this. a real name. <laughs> Let me just get through this. Oh I, my I god, need, go ahead. I, I, need to, I need to know things. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just this notorious thing with Clover, and my name is True. So my question really comes down to: So how did? How did Clover get that gig? And, so, and so, then I have a follow-up question. Well, Jake signs Elvis <laughs> Costello, and then he got Nick Lowe to produce it. And Nick uh, used us, not me, not me and not my singer, not our singer, Alex Call, but the other four guys as a rhythm section for that, that record. And they cut that record at Pathway. Right. That Miami Street was cutting, really cutting. And the studio was, was literally the studio and control room. We're as big as this room right here. Wow. And, and we're in a small room. Studio and the control <laughs> Which, room was like a four by four thing with a board. Twelve by twelve. Like an eight tracky or maybe maybe it was sixteen, I don't even know. But it was and they, they cut that record in in fact, here's a great story for you because the first thing they did was rehearse, obviously, for before they went into cut. And we were we were living in a place called Nigel Grange in Surrey. Down they rented a house. It's the same house that Led Zeppelin cut all them big records in. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Where they mic the drums Physical downstairs yeah, in the hallway. Yeah, all yeah. That. right. Big. So we, that was our house called Headley Grange. So they, when Elvis rehearsed, we set up. We are set up in the in the living room, and Elvis came down, took the train down, and rehearsed with the band for the first time. Well, 
I went to London because, uh, you know, the harmonica player, and he was just going to rehearse with them. And when I came back that night, we had dinner there, and we all had dinner, and Elvis was gone. I said, so how was it today? And everybody was kind of, oh, it was good. Yeah, it was good, good. And my keyboard player, Sean Hopper, went, I'm telling you what, the, this, this guy's lyrics are unbelievable. He's really a genius. I'm tell- and Sean Hopper was the first guy to know how great Elvis Costello was, I mm. think. And even before Jake and Dave and all these, even before the management was in, Sean was a, was a fanatic. Okay, so as you just said, you, you, you uh, were a singer and a harmonica player and um, I guess weren't needed. There's no harmonica on the, on the record. When they got ready to do it, Elvis said to me, I got a couple songs that you could play on if you want to. I said, "Great." Yeah, it seems like there's a couple that could have had harmonica. But he's but they were cutting this this week, and it was we they had were they had worked us like crazy the management because you know they had to make money so we were working all the time, uh, and so I took the week off. I said it's okay, but I went to Amsterdam. <laughs> my, my, so it was okay. My girlfriend flew over, and we we had it. We 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 saw it as a vacation week for the other two of us. So I didn't play on the record. But you and you weren't at the sessions. Uh, I was I was at one session briefly, but no, I guess maybe it was a mix session. I don't think I, I can't remember if I, I I recorded at that studio a lot and with the band, so I know what it was like. But okay, yeah. ultimately the question was: I knew you weren't on it. I just wanted to know if you were at the sessions. <laughs> I, I, had nothing, I had nothing to do with. No, Elvis but you Costello's. might have been at one mix session. You're saying? Uh, oh yeah, that's I, the piece of information I'm trying to mine. Right I, now. I'm sh- as long as you got yours, Steve. <laughs> he bleeds Costello. I'm uh. sure I was there. And then, of course, we had the same management, you know, so we would bump. They were happening and we we went to a lot of Elvis's early shows when he played the Nashville pub and all that stuff. And I watched him ascend, you know, and he's he's a wonderful guy and and smart as you can as you imagine. And so is Jake, by the way. And so is Nick Lowe. And those three guys were so smart. It was I have one more question about this. You sure? Um, was, <laughs> was Clover uh, upset that they didn't get the permanent gig with him, and that he got the attraction starting with the next album the next year? No, no. We, 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 we you know, there's, there's that band thing. We thought we were going to make it any minute, <laughs> and just you, you always think you, you're going to make it any minute. You know, failure never breaks up bands. It's success that breaks up bands. Mm. <laughs> Write that down. Damn. Damn. Right, that's that's 17 albums, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> wow. Shut all here. Shit. No. All right, so when, when the band... with Elvis Costello, Steve? Yeah. We can no. come back it's to it later. Like, yeah. It's almost like Steve doesn't know Elvis. You know they're very close. I'm a huge... <laughs> you know, I, I'm also a huge Huey Lewis fan. Just, uh, oh, just you're wonderful. <laughs> Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fonsigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. 
From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The band imploded in 78, correct? Well, imploded. Yeah. You guys broke up. We, we broke up. It was amicable or just Well, kind of. We, success. We, we lost our record deal and we came back and, uh, and then McPhee and uh, joined the Doobie Brothers. I th- sort of. That's kind of what happened. I okay. mean, but yeah, it was pretty amicable. So, what leads to the development of Huey Lewis in the news? Well, let's see. I was um, so now we had always played Monday night was a fun night for us in 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 Marin because it was I don't know it was just a night that we always used to have jam sessions and stuff. And one of the local studios asked me, I want a local club. Said, do you want to a residency or something? a residency or so? I said, look, I'll, give me Monday nights. And so I did a thing called Monday Night Live that I invited all these different musicians and and we had a Monday Night Live band mm-hmm. and that we had a theme song and all that and comedians and and it was kind of fun and with the band we would slowly I was singing all, I got I got to sing all the songs for the first time. Were you the reluctant leader by this point? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Like, I wasn't that reluctant. I was I had my eye on the ball. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but I wasn't he sure knew. it was going to work. Okay. You know what I mean? I was trying it out a little bit. So, but that's uh, that and that's we developed that in Monday Night Live and this studio owner saw us and made it and and said, "Hey, would you like some demo time?" Was it original stuff or and was I it said, covers? Well, we we didn't have mostly covers. We'd written 3 songs. Uh, and then I said, do you want some free studio time? I said, sure. Huh? And they gave us like a day. So I thought, and we were doing funny stuff in our Monday Night Live. We did an, a disco version of Exodus. Exodisco, we called it. <laughs> Exodus. It was pretty funny. And It's actually not bad. I've heard it. Yeah. And and, and, and the horn player on it, we got the, we got Pee Wee Ellis to play horns on it. Shit. Wow. wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah, Pee Wee. He, he was great. Pee Wee will do anything. Like, after his James Brown stint, he... 
Yeah, he can play though, man. Pee Wee can flat play. I know, man. Oh wow! And so we 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 cut this disco version of Exodus for a laugh, and it was very funny. We had a nice day. Well, now I get a call from Nick Lowe, and saying, "Look, I've just written this song, and I think I think I swiped it from you." I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "It's called What Looks the Best on You Is Me." <laughs> and, and, and I told him that joke, you know. So I said, nah, I'm nuts. Don't worry about it. He said, no, seriously, I feel like I owe you something. I said, no. Nah. I said, I'll tell you what, give me a ticket to London and back, and I'll visit. He says, okay, I'll do that sometime. <laughs> a week later, writing? he calls me and says, I got an idea. Come to London and play on my record. And Edmonds wants to cut Bad is Bad, one of, one of my songs. And we'll do both of those things, and we'll do them in London. I said, great. So he flew me to London. We went straight to the studio those days. And uh, cut Bad is Bad with Dave Edmonds and Rockpile, and then cut Born Fighter with Nick Lowe. I played harmonica on that, and we were done. It was like two or three in the afternoon. Now comes the record company to hear the tracks. And they come down, they come to the thing, and they listen to this so- couple songs. They go, Oh man, it sounds great. And there was a lull in the moment. I said, You guys want to hear something funny? They said, yeah, and I put on Exodisco. <laughs> <laughs> well, they loved it. They said, Man, that could be a hit. I said, Whatever. They said, come <laughs> come see us tomorrow. We'll make a deal. And they left. Uh-huh. So I said to Jake, that they leave the room, and I go, Jake, what do I do? He says, you go in there, you ask for 13 points, you want 3,000 pounds advance, and, and, and there you go. And if they want anything to be like a remix or any of that stuff, as long as they pay for it, that's good, but make sure you get the 3,000 pounds. So don't <laughs> leave without the check. And I said... So I went there and made a singles deal, and I came home to San Francisco. I said, "Boys, we got a singles deal." And then I cut with 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 the three thousand pounds. I got studio time. Actually, it's a funny it's a funnier story because they wanted more vocal on 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 Exodisco. So all I'd say is, "Come on, baby, come on down," you know, that kind of thing, you know. Right, right. So they wanted me to, to a little more vocal on it. I said, "No problem. Just give me the three thousand. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me the check. You were your own manager and negotiator. My, my own everything. So now now I get back and I, and and I go to the studio. I said, "Man, we got a deal for it. I got to put some vocal, some more vocal on it." We go to the multi-track tape, and it was also had tones on that reel. And while they aligned the machine, they erased 30 seconds of the master tape that we had recorded Exodisco on. This is, you know, so I went, oh, my God. What? Uh, what? what? I'm sorry. I said, I, you, you Shout just, out to great engineers. <laughs> so now I told them, I said, look, I'm going to have to replicate this record. you got to give me a week. They said, we'll give you whatever you want. Where's the I said, well, give me five days. Okay, fine. You're so, good. So I took the Exodisco. <laughs> Lewis don't fuck to, around. I took the two track that we had and I put it on two of the 24 track and I sang on another track and I mixed it down to a two track and that took like four hours and we were done and I cut these three other songs with the with the, <laughs> with the rest of the time like a Yo, man, can we just yeah, give him yeah. a, a yeah. hustle game hustle Hustle. This is the best hustler in the hustle. Graduated at 16 and, and, and those three tunes got us our manager and eventually our record wow. deal. Lewis, I know there's a guy documenting your every life, but do you have like a book deal where you tell everybody how to make it <laughs> in the music business? Because <laughs> I'm in the music business and I would totally buy that shit in a second. Yeah, dude. Like, 
First, you got to go to Jesus Christ. School, then you got to go to Cornell. Are you? I mean, shit. So I kind of want to skip over, not skip over. I want to get to the eighties. Well, yeah, no, 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 wait. <laughs> no, dude. Like this is education. I know. Okay. First of all, can I assume that the baddest bat that you cut for Nick Lowe is also the, the baddest bat? Baddest bat was uh, Dave Edmonds. Born but fighter it's a with Nick Lowe. It's a blues shuffle the way yeah. he did it. But then, then it's kind of, But then we reprised it as the acapella thing, right. On sports. Okay, so still the same song. That same song. What but, I wanted to know, but okay. completely different version. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what? What I do want to know is how was Bill Snee, uh, being a Steely Dan head that I am, how was Bill Snee? Uh, how did he get involved with the very first Huey Lewis record? His yeah, his you, engineering. You, you know your stuff. Well, man. see, this is you the know thing. Your stuff, Westlake. <laughs> I want to because the thing is, is that well, Schnee's done a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, but most importantly, like he was the engineer of the classic uh, Steely stuff, and really, I feel like his sound was the proprietor of. I don't know if you consider that the four letter word of the the perfection of yacht rock sounds. The, that clean scene. Yeah, yeah, I see that. So, what was it? Did you have reservations with like what was your view? Because the thing is, you express a lot of opinions, especially on sports, with Bad is Bad and also the Heart of Rock and Roll about what I assume your criticism of, you know, what what is raw and true to the music versus, you know, the the scene of whatever's commercial today. So I'm assuming I'm assuming that you're coming from a purist standpoint to now, work with. Now it. you sound like American Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> it only took 45 minutes. No, I know where you're going. I think, but <laughs> I was think. it was it the fact that I mean, what made you, was was he chosen for you or? Yeah, yeah he was chosen for us because they, even though we'd had you know we were more experienced than. Most new bands. I was twenty, but well, I was twenty nine years old mm -hmm. at that point, which is, and so um, he was. You know, he worked with. He did Bosk Bosk Silk Degrees. Bosk Gas, yeah. And, he produced. And, uh, yeah, and he was low down, and, and he's a great. Schnee's a famous engineer. He's a gr great engineer, mm -hmm. and so yeah, we worked with. We worked together, and we have this joke because we worked together a couple times over the year, and. We don't work together well. <laughs> I mean, we, that's why I wanted to know. It's weird. Like, how was the There's conflict in the studio? What you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, so what was the con was there conflict in well, like musically? It never worked. I love Bill Schnee. He's a good friend of mine. Right. But it just we just never. I guess our tastes maybe didn't match, or I don't know why. And he's a brilliant engineer. It just we just never could hit it. You know, we never got anything we ever did together. Just didn't happen. So, so second record, now we get a second record. So what I said, and I told I, the manager, my manager, I said, look, we can do this ourselves. You know, by this point we'd had, we'd auditioned producers and, you know, gone through a zillion of them. And, um, why weren't you using Nick Lowe as a producer? Well, because, well let's see. We were now here, but well, Nick, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, he, he had no trouble. He, he hadn't done honest. Elvis. Well, you were on Chrysalis at this point, or we we're on Chrysalis. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. maybe and, just a different label. But at this point, we we felt like we could do it ourselves, and our manager went to fight, went to bat for us, and so then we started making our own records. I also want you to discuss uh, Phil from Thin Lizzy, Phil. Uh, oh Lennon. man, Phil in it. Yeah, and you 
played on a couple of Thin Lizzy records yeah. as well. Like, what was the relationship there, and how well, was it? Well, we when I was in Clover, we uh, toured with Thin Lizzy. Okay, and Philip was an, an unbelievable guy, an unbelievable performer. First of all, right, hard rock band with soul. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, they were just great. And Brian Downey, he's back up now, but he could play really? and he can shuffle. You okay. know, which didn't used to happen in London, in England. You know, there were guys. There's certain beats that just the British just so they, British weren't too cool and blue. You know what I mean? Dun, 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 dun. Just, couldn't couldn't swing somehow. And but but Brian Downing was great, and Thin Lizzy were unbelievable. And uh, Philip just kind of took me under his wing, man, and said he. I played on a few of his things, and I I lived with him for a minute, and he would dress me out of his closet, you know. And uh, he was just a he taught me more than anybody how to run a band and how to, you know, just all kinds of stuff. I've learned everything, everything, not necessarily musically, but everything other than music. Okay, so on your second album, based on where the placement of Do You Believe in Love is on that album, which is like kind of the middle of side two, can I assume that was the last song recorded for the record? Yeah. Damn, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) You are good. And not according to, yeah, because they, you know, we needed a hit kind of thing, and they thought this was a single. That said, okay, the thing is, what makes that song stand out so much to me? Do you in love? So, how did you guys? As well, first of all, as a unit, how long were you guys together in the gelling process and the practice process and to get that good? Because yeah. you guys play like you like each other. Yeah. Well, we, well, we were. This we is were. A we were. Self inspection <laughs> moment right now. <laughs> so, okay. Yes. I will that say that. What are you saying? It took, yeah. it took <laughs> maybe. Real quest. What it took 15 about? years for the roots to like each other. Damn. Okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> we love each other now because yeah. we're old ass men. We we all we got. Wow. But <laughs> shit just got real. It's like therapy. I like it. I, I will say. Let's get into it. That. Yes, the, 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 the chemistry and the gelling, of course, comes together on that record. But I, based on the tightness of the harmonies, that's where I feel like you guys really shine, where most groups don't. Like, you know, occasionally Eagles will hit that level, too. Oh, yeah. So it's a lot of parts. How well, we have, we have, we have, the, the secret is good singers, and Johnny <laughs> Cola, our, our saxophone and guitar player, yep. is, is a great singer. Okay. And, and, and also uh, and a great arranger. And Bill, our drummer, sings, and Sean sings bass, and 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 we have a kind of an okay blend. We're just lucky that okay. way. You know, okay, you okay. Never know, you never know about. <laughs> you I mean, guys are a little bit better. It's than like okay. a, a blend is a blend. You know, it either, it either works or it doesn't, or it, it is what it is. But uh, but that's what that is. And, and Johnny Cola gets most of the credit for that, for the vocals arrangements and stuff. Okay, he, he's he's great. So how did you wrestle that song from Mutt without him producing it? Well. How do we get the song? Or did he demo it perfectly and you guys just oh, followed just it verbatim? he gave me the demo. And we, I rewrote it a little bit. It was, he had it, we both believe in love. We both believe it's ours. You really me. give enough. <laughs> yeah, you really make me see the stars. <laughs> I went, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can work with this. <laughs> Mr. Wait, did you just ask him for a throwaway? Like, do you have anything that you're I, not I using? I asked him for a song. I said, but you got a song. We got a record. We, you know, we need a song. And this is post ACDC, because m- m- yeah. Now, oh, so now he's on fire and yeah. that sort of thing. Well, yeah, I, I think it's post. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, sure. 80 to eighty-two. Okay, you're right. Yeah. 
so how did you wrestle it from him? How did I wrestle it from him? No, he was he was happy to. It was great. He just sent it right away. Okay, he's a good friend, Mutt, and he's a brilliant. You know, you know him. He's ACDC and right. for, Foreigner and all the Shania stuff. Shania Twain. So, can you tell me? I mean, of course, I mean, be remiss to not say that we have to acknowledge that, of course, the the rise of MTV was very instrumental in the millions of records you sold. That you know, for the the sports album. Your third album. But could you tell me what was the touring environment like before sports as opposed to afterwards? As far as Right. What was what was right. what was rock what what was touring like for pre MTV kind of like what was were you guys chitlin circuit? You know, you had one top ten hit. Like what? What was the environment like? Well, we least? had one, well, we had one tour we called Working for a Living Tour where we had all of us on one bus, right? And the crew and the f- thing, and, and we went out for ten weeks. We held our record back because we were just finished with Sports Record, and we j- basically just finished it. And then uh, the record label we hadn't mixed it yet, and the record label went belly up, Chrysalis, and sold out to CBS. Chrysalis sold out to Chrysalis C- shut down. Chrysalis went shut down their whole distribution and all their stuff and went with CBS distribution. They fired about most of their employees and a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of their independent stuff. They got rid of all the, and just became a, a label. Right. And then they, and and CBS was going to distribute. Well, we weren't sure how that was going to work out, so manager decided we just hit the road and try and pay for ourselves. So we did a ten week working for a living tour. We did. All the clubs and all the all that sort of stuff. You guys alone or with other acts or yeah. But one as soon as the record hit, well, you know, we got a tour. We toured with um, uh, Thirty Eight Special. Toured with Toto a little bit. To- toured with, and you could feel the record happening. You know, our our, you could just feel people showing up for the record. Now, I mean, there are different types of audiences for pop music, and. You know, I mean, have you ever encountered or toured with an act whose fan base was different than what you desired? I mean, (laughs) all the time. Clover, Clover, we opened for Alice Cooper at the Nassau Coliseum. Okay. And got bombed. Long Long Island. Got represented. (laughs) M80s landed here and here and boom. What the fuck? Guys, threw Damn, Shep Gordon didn't protect you guys. <laughs> <laughs> they wasn't his clients. Shep, you should have been in Hawaii, man. Yeah. <laughs> Still there. Shep's been on the show. <laughs> oh man, Nassau Coliseum, not known for its security. Well, I mean, even out of the clovers. I mean, the thing is, is that you know what 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 audience do you feel is specifically your audience as opposed to? Like was was there any worry, any worries about pairing with another act? In- yeah, yeah. I mean, we our first Huey Lewis and the News's first tour was with the Doobie Brothers because they were pals of ours. That makes sense. Right. And, and yeah. McPhee, my, our Clover's old guitar player, was now playing with the Doobies. Right. So that we we got that tour. We had the same agency and all that. So we went out with the Doobies for a national tour, and we got. Basically booed off. What? Why? Well, what? That's the perfect not, show. N- not quite booed off because we knew enough to go 
from song to song before they could boo. But if you <laughs> if, if you would if you just wait, just be quiet, it would go. Why? <laughs> I remember. I so bet. where's your? All right. What's the worst? Let's say in North America. In your mind, what's your favorite territory where there are open mind? Like I have my spots. Like I know where they're open minded and where I can stretch with the huh. stuff, and then I know where it's going to be a sell, even. 20 years in the game where I gotta hit him with the hits and mm-hmm. get out for you what are you rolling your eyes at like oh god we gotta go back to like what territories were not to well, LA's stuff LA's always been tough for us the San Francisco band LA and we've oh, always man. you know we'll in the in the <laughs> I mean, we'd go down there, and we, you know, there was X, and then there was the, who were the other bands? There's zillion bands Carter, down there, Rock X, and who all did great, but we never, they never reckoned us down there. We could never, never get over, never get it until, and then once, once I remember, um, <laughs> we finally years later we played, we we played three forums, three LA forums, and you know, and now we're back in LA again, and we have three forums. First night. Everybody's there, you know. All the music, all the Toto guys, all the right. all the musicians are there. Schnee's there, uh, you know. All the all, and I'm nervous, you know. I'm, I'm you know, naturally. in front of your peers and yeah, all right. that stuff, and it's sold out and all. That. So, I remember thinking, be just don't press, relax, just don't press, relax, you know. And it's like I'm I'm a kind of a veteran now, so I go out the first night and I play. What I think is a great show. We have a great show. Finally, I wasn't nervous. I feel great. Anytime I get I, before that, when I would get a bad review, when I, we, we actually got great reviews starting up. But whenever I get a bad review, it was always from a bad show, and I could always think to myself, you know what? He's right. I could have been better. That's right. It's no problem. So this time, LA Forum first night, I've I think is a great show. Right. We go back to the hotel. We go to bed. Wake up in the morning. Uh, Want to see the paper? Everybody in this room knows where this is going. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and my manager's having breakfast, and he goes, "Hey, Hugh." He says, "Everybody who had a who got a great review in the L.A. Times, come on down and eat breakfast." Oh. He says, "Oh, not so fast." <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Oh. What do they, really? What, what? And Robert Hilburn had just tore me up. You That's know? what I was going to ask you. Like, what did they I say? Thought, I thought, damn it. What's that about? Well, here's, here's, uh, you guys will appreciate this, I think, I hope. Yes. Uh, but so I, I, I struggled with that because I know we were good that night and I wasn't nervous and I, I knew we were good and it just bothered me for years. Now I'm recording another record at Lucas. Uh, Lucas's studio, Skywalker Ranch, mm-hmm. and George Lucas. They just opened it. This is amazing studio, and all. Yeah. And George has given me a personal tour, and he, we go around. He shows me everything. It's really great. And he says, "Now, at first, the house, and they have this unbelievable where they give you lunch and all the stuff. ranch. Says, now, the ranch and all that. He says, "Now, let's go look. Let's go. Let me show you the studio." I said, "Great." He says, "Linda's in there now. Linda Ronstadt. That's when he was dating. Right. Uh, oh, get, d- she was dating George." I said, "Oh, great, great." I didn't know. So that. we go in the studio, and there's Linda, and there she goes, "Oh man, hi Huey, guy. I love your stuff." But she's funny. She'd be here because Brian Wilson's showing up in a minute to do some vocals. I said, what? "You're kidding me." Yeah, said, no, I said, wow, do you mind if I just hang out? She says, no, no problem, great. So I finish. 
I said, I'm hanging around, but it's like lunch or taking a break. Boom, here's Brian. I said, well, I introduced myself to my, and Brian, this is Huey Lewis. He goes, oh, man, I, I, you know, in his funny ways. Yeah. I know who you are. I know who you are. He says, I saw your show. I've seen your show. He says, my, top 10. Might have been top three. Top three shows I've ever seen. Wow. Ever. ever. Top three. Top three whoa. shows. I said, whoa, thank you. Really great. Do you mind if I share that with my guys? <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. I, I said, wow, that's going to make our whole day. Yeah. I said, where was it? He said, L.A. Forum. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, which night? Which night? He says, first night. I said, thank you. Fuckers. See, how Brian Eno. Thank you, Brian. Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson. Excuse me. Wrong yes. Brian. True story. Excuse me. <laughs> Wait, the look of disgust. There's three quarters of bottle whiskey. Right oh, God. Jameson, people. It's Jameson. No, well, it's funny you mentioned Wilson because I, I didn't want to go super quest love hyperbole when I... Hyperbole. Are you hyperbole. With us? Yes, I am. Okay. Hyperbole. That's my favorite sport. Hyperbole. No, I didn't, I didn't want to go full Quest Love hyperbole when I wanted to compare their harmony game close to that of Beach Boys. Level. You're right. But that's how tight. You gave it an Eagles. Well, and, and they, which I they was were valid. a big influence on yes, us. Yes, and you can clearly hear that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. You, you can hear it. That's why, you know. I agree. I okay. Agree. I won't embarrass myself. But uh, sorry about Robert, man. But I mean, to. to uh, now that you say it, yeah, L.A. has not been kind to a lot of greats. Um, there's the infamous uh, Prince. Oh, yeah, Rolling Stones. Uh, Rolling yeah. Stone uh, yeah. show where he got mercilessly booed. I mean, there's plenty of others. So you, that's weird that you say that L.A. is... I can I can imagine... I can imagine that... I think it's... For you, it's probably easier to do a spot outside of L.A. where there's not the pressure Detroit, of your peers watching you. Detroit. Tulsa, Oklahoma. These are good towns for us. Soulful towns. Montana. It's, it's, it's Blue like, town. Shut up. It's like it's like sports. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, I was just holding my stand. I can't stop. Huey Lewis can't stop getting no, no, pounds. You pounds, can't, man. Like, pounds. Since LSD, hey. you can't stop pounding with Huey Lewis. Like, what the fuck is happening? Like, mind melt. We're getting a contact. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's magic. No, I mean, it's 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 like a sports sports towns. The great oh, sports towns okay. Okay, that makes are sense. also so great rock and roll towns. It makes and a lot of sense. And the towns are, you know, I mean, L.A. is the worst baseball town in the world. <laughs> to this no, day. Well, we had heard for years that Cleveland was was the was the best rock and roll town in America. How and is I thought, that a thing? Really? Yeah. Cleveland? Yeah. How can Cleveland be? I, I, didn't, I had no clue. So we played the Agora there mm-hmm. and had this amazing gig. And afterwards, we're driving out of town. In the bus, and it and it's a gray kind of a dismal day, and the 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 skyline of Cleveland is it's not every you know, day in pretty sepia, sepia. Pretty, pretty rough looking. And I, right. and I said I said to the guys that we'd had this great gig. I went, wow, guys, you know what? The heart of rock and roll really is in Cleveland. <laughs> I said. Oh my God, that's a song. The heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland, and and and, and my my that's the genesis of it. And, is that yes. what you say and, at the end of that lyric? And Johnny Cole yeah. goes, yeah. "The heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland." Oh you know? my God! I said, all right, all right, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. And so, but that was the 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 inspiration. I'm so sorry, Huey. Yeah. So, I've been fucking that lyric no, up for years. Oh, okay, good. And me too, because I've been saying the heart of rock and roll is it's the for, beat. It's for no, real. It is. It's still beating. Yeah. No, no. He's saying that initially that it was going to be. No, I just thought it was the beat. No, oh, still beating. Like, still beating. Still beating. The okay. heart is still yeah. beating. The old boy oh. might be barely breathing. Okay. Oh, but hell the heart no. of rock and roll would still be. Okay. No, no. That's not- Thank you. And Thank really you. what it's about is about, you know, the rock and roll business is mm. in L.A. and New York. 
Mm-hmm. But the, you find good bands everywhere, everywhere. and good yeah. music is everywhere, and that's what that's that was what. So, so how vindicated? Okay. No. How vindicated did you feel when they announced in '87 that the Rock and Roll of Fame was going to be? <laughs> yeah, that's what well, still beaten because we were all like, "What?" And then once they gave their reasons, I was like, "Okay, okay." So were you at all shocked at the reception of sports at all? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the the thing is, when I listen to sports, right. As I I realized then, we were making our records, and this is eighty. We made the record in eighty two, mm-hmm. released in eighty three. So, and, and, sorry, what studio? Uh, we cut mostly at the record plant and at uh, Fantasy Records, okay. and um, and a place called Studio D in Sausalito did some overdubs there, and Bob Clearmountain mixed it here at the Power Station right here in New York, um, but. If you think about it, 83, radio was king. Mm-hmm. MTV had just started. There was a big beef about how MTV wasn't playing any diverse artists and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But what they were doing is they were following radio and records as playlist. Exactly. That's why some of the tunes, which are hits, had those horrible videos that they kept showing <laughs> over and over again. And then we have those. But it was a radio world. And there was no internet. There was no, you know, none, no pop radio uh, world. No, no computers. No, none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you we had, and by then, CHR radio was the only format. Uh, you know, radio top forty started with a guy in Fresno, with the advent of push button radio. A programmer in Fresno figured out that if with push button radios, if people heard something they didn't like, they'd switch the channel. So the idea was narrow your playlist. Top forty, play the hits over and over again so they never leave. And mm. by and and then FM came as an alternative to that with all the 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 uh, album cuts. But, and- but but within eight years, it was programmed and CHR was the format contemporary hit radio on FM radio. And so we all competed for that format, which was a hit single. And if you did not have a hit single. You didn't exist. So our job making our record was to have a hit. And so we but you aimed had six. Well, that's it. We aimed every. We are <laughs> looking at the line. The but we aimed thing. every song at radio, and different. One was kind of a rocker. Sure, sure. One sure. was kind of not a rocker. One was kind of a little more R and B. But we knew we needed a hit. We didn't know we were going to have six of them. Yeah. But we we knew we needed one. I mean, that's and just at the beginning, what did you aim for? Like, let's just have three top ten hits and a single, a hit. I tried to make everything a hit. And and now that I listen back to sports. It is an album of its time. It's a collection of singles. It's yeah, a greatest it really hits is. album. Yeah, it's it the greatest hits but album. It, it really but is. One song doesn't have anything to do with the other song. I mean, Finey Found a Home and mm. Bad is Bad. These are these are like different genres of music mm. entirely, in a way. And, and our subsequent albums hold together much better as albums. And you didn't clearly you didn't think about that as you were making this. It was just like it was just a hit. It was just make a hit. It well, wasn't we, like make a, a we wrote the best songs we could. And it doesn't matter. And make and hit. Hey. And, Song I'll, a song. I'll go one above MTV and ask you, did you ever uh, fathom in your life that one day your song, uh, specifically the heart of rock and roll, would ever be utilized in a Soul Train dance line. <laughs> That's a deep cut. That's a deep cut, man. You don't are you, are you even aware of the fact that, that you happened? guys have rotation on Soul Train for one year? 
Did we really? Would, yeah. So here's the deal. So Don so, Cornelius had had taste. Here's the, <laughs> so that the, confirmed no. it. The deal was in '84. Okay, so black people's relationship with MTV is, is rather strange because, of course, you know Rick Rick James had legitimate beefs. Like, well, I've sold out stadiums. No, no, no I'm not on TV. So the thing is to watch Michael Jackson videos. Um. Especially that most cable uh, networks weren't in the actual inner city. They were more of a suburbia thing. So we would have to plan weekends. So I would spend like a weekend. Am I telling the truth, Bill? I just remembered like going to my aunt's house in in Kentucky and she had MTV. Yeah. And that's the thing. (laughs) Most of my weekends in 1983-84, yo, can I I spend the night at Aunt Aunt Sharon and Uncle Junie's house? So I would go to the suburbs of Philly, like, out, out in Yaden, back when wow. Yaden was a suburb, and I would sit in front of MTV 17 hours. Now, yes, to wait for those five rotations of Beat It to come on <laughs> and Billie Jean, however, all that other, other stuff's stuff. coming yeah. to me too. Yeah. So you guys what? are coming to me. Remember, remember the Pat Benatar one where the Nazis are doing the Yes. <laughs> <singing>. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which Pat Benatar song was? Uh, Hells for Children. children. Damn. Yeah, Deep so cut. literally, okay. uh, like all this Thomas Dolby and uh, Nina ninety nine left alone. So yes, everything, everything that defines MTV, I'm I'm absorbing just so I can wait for the Michael Jackson videos. But I'm, you right. know, after nine nine rotations of this, now I'm fans of them too. And you just the thing gave us was, all aha moments, Amir. I just want to thank the whole audience. Just went. That's why I know all this shit. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yes. We were waiting for Beat It to come on yes. every hour and a half. Yes, aha. So the thing is, is that in '84, I think Don Cornelius saw the paradigm shift. So the first sign of it was during the during the Tina Marie episode of '84. Ooh, boy. He showed. <laughs> Get it, Amir. Get it. Yes. Everyone remembers where they were during the Tina Marie episode of 84. You better go. It was like that time that... Hmm. No, no, no. Well, I'm saying they showed the wrapped around your finger thing, and that was weird to see. And oh. now from the video world, one of the rock greats, the police, and wrapped around your finger. We're like... What? We look at each other like, huh? White people on Soul Train like this? <laughs> so during the Run DMC episode of Soul oh. Train, white people were never on Daz Soul Train. Band, well, no, they were. I mean, David Bowie, T- Tina Marie, David Bowie, Don right, John, down, Black John. people, <laughs> take a fucking breather. That's right. Breathe. We all and relax, Tina in. Black people. I get it. So the point Sorry. is that during the Run DMC Daz Band episode. They showed the hard rock and roll such video. A Soul Train nerd. That must have been awkward. <laughs> no, it was. I mean, then it was like you know. I, I realized that Don realized he had to play the game of the day, and the thing was you had to amalgamate modern pop inside your format. I mean, some things were weird. Like, I think once he tried to make uh, Genesis illegal alien work, but the song's like 150 Suspect. BPMs. <laughs> it's just it's too song to dance. It's too fast to dance to. You can't do the whole line thing with that shit. So, <laughs> it's too fast. No, but Watch I'm out, saying Bill. Heart of Rock and Roll got three... <laughs> For you guys to be placed on the Soul Train dance line, which is like non-remix, that's prime something place straight hell, up. that's prime yeah. real estate spot. That is some major shit. You know so. about the dance line, Huey? Did you watch Soul Train? <laughs> What's that? I said, do you know about the dance yeah, line? Did you know, watch? Yeah. So you know that's like a oh, whole yeah. honor. So, Soul Train was a cultural if phenomenon. I know about it, watched. Huey. Lewis I, did, I know. I never saw Harder Rock and Roll on Soul Train. <laughs> no, it is. But I love that. It's a. It's a thing. Trust yeah. me. It's Good. a major thing. Good. It's crazy. All right, y'all. 
You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic. So slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Can you describe the night of USA for Africa? (laughs) Jesus. Was it just a routine stop for you? Was it? No, it was unbelievable. I mean, you mean we are the world, right? Yes. 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 Bob Dylan. It was unbelievable. I mean, uh, you know, you can imagine. uh, Just uh, you don't get to meet all those people in in a lifetime uh, or a career. And I mean, and Ray Charles was there. I couldn't. I know. I couldn't. I couldn't even introduce myself to Ray Charles. (laughs) No, really? I, I just I just hung back and watched him. A lot of cool I, stuff. I, I totally understand that. Yeah, yeah I, it was, totally understand. I was just I'm just totally in awe of Ray Charles. And then, did you bond with anyone there? Like, yeah, Paul Simon was was yeah. great. Ah, okay, Paul, I should probably should like. Say. Was there anybody you were nervous to be around besides Ray Charles? Everybody anybody else. Bruce, okay. well, Bruce, we hung out with Bruce. Told jokes for a long time. It was they let nobody in there but the artists for mm-hmm. a long time, and it was really amazing. So all your people had to stay in a green room. They're or? In a green room there with a the thing, and, so, and they were just. It was just us, and man, it was it was an amazing evening. How you know? long did general background vocals take to do for that session? The whole because well, ba- I know you that you're one of the leads, but yeah. all the background vocals? not how, long. How long did it take to record in general? Oh well, yeah, we started after the American Music Awards, mm-hmm. so that was probably eleven. Well, early in L.A., so mm-hmm. six to nine. So we were there at ten o'clock. I bet. And we went all night. And then the Dylan's thing that he sang was in the morning. It was like 6, 7 wow. in the morning. We can tell. It looks it. It looks it. He <laughs> looks 6 a.m. Oh, yeah. my goodness. In, so Bob Dylan. Said six. Yeah. He looks like 6 a.m. Yeah. So, okay, here's the thing. 
I I mean, ba- background vocals were probably done up to be ten. I bet they were done by midnight or twelve thirty. Okay. We all sang the same part. Right. He did all the parts, and then we all sang the same part unison. Right. And then they put them together. So I would almost say that the your your A game has to be on point because I would assume that it could be very intimidating to sing in front of all those people. So was my, there ever my, a situation where like, look, okay, you got me singing right after Michael Jackson. Can I just punch in like can I come in tomorrow and punch it in or like I, so I'll tell you it was funny because I you know I'm nervous. My legs my leg was shaking like this. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't stop my leg from shaking. I was so nervous. Right. And and of course we start and Humberto uh, Gattaca was the was the engineer, mm-hmm. and and so they start boom, and we, they wanted to go one full pass all the way around because right. they had to bleed the microphones one down, one up, and like that, and with the ambience and everything. So they didn't want to punch and all that. They wanted to get one full performance. So they started with Lionel and then Stevie Wonder, and Stevie's messed his thing up kind of on, almost on purpose, you right? Know, right, and <laughs> just being cute and funny. Right. So they stopped the tape. And then they go back and they start it again. And they get about halfway and Al Jarreau messes up. They stop and they go back. Wow. And, they go, and, I, and now he comes out to adjust the mic. I said, hey, Amber, can you run the whole piece so we can look, have a shot at, her, <laughs> at my, my line? You know, I just, I, Quincy just sang me the line. Right. No, no, he had Michael sing me the line. Quincy says, sing it for me. I sang it. He says, great. Go ahead again. So... I want to try it, right? And and he keeps stopping, and he keeps stopping. But finally, we went all the way through, and uh, then we finish. And he, and now, Quincy says, "That's good." But I'll tell you, what, let's do one more. And Huey, why don't you sing a harmony with with uh, uh, Cindy? Oh, yeah. When oh, she comes in. I oh, go, stand together as one. Okay, okay. Well, that's a creative choice. Yeah, yeah. Sing a harmony with what am I going? And I got look. I'm looking at Stevie Wonder, and right, Lionel right. Richie, and, <laughs> and you know, forget about it. I'm going to make up this thing, and you know, so you know, it worked out. I don't even know what I did. I was so that vocal was a concurrent, no punching, one, 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 all the way through. And when we wow. and cut it, you know, Michael was right next to me, right, and we and he was uh, he didn't miss a trick, man. Yeah. I mean, he in his kind of little spacey way. Did not miss a trick. He knew exactly what was going on. And so when I asked Humberto, I said, can you let it run it through so we can run our lines? He went, good idea. That's good. You know? So now, now we're running <laughs> our lines. in your head. And finally we do this re- one pass that's really good. And now he goes, and Humberto, and Quincy goes, all right, good. Let's do one more. And we go one, back to one more. And he goes, and, and Michael urgently grabs me and says, they're going to save that, aren't they? I said, yeah, they're going to save that one. He goes, that was one. I said, I know it. <laughs> was, uh, was that the one? It was one. Okay. Yeah. I got anxiety just listening to this story. <laughs> I need Xanax. Yeah. My, Michael did not miss a trick, man. He was on it. How did you get? How were you picked as one of the solo people? Here's I got the shit. Yeah, I got I, well, no, I, the, no. You sold ten million units. No, no, okay, brother, no. Yes. Uh, other than so that, so did everybody oh. else in the group. <laughs> I got Prince's line. Prin- oh. Prince. Prince oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, you're welcome. oh, 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 o
Wow. Yeah, no, remember Prince didn't show yeah, yeah. on the whole deal. I think he was just too nervous to be around all those people. And plus, he, he's the type of person that has to have complete control over everything when he records. Yeah, he's insulated. So, yeah. Yeah. so he, he so, wasn't about to give up Michael control. had way too much control. But that, so last minute, I didn't know. I thought I was done. And I'm over there. Well, we finished the vote. Great. Come guy, some guy gives says, Quincy wants to see you. And I come walking back into the studio. He goes, Smelly, sing him the line. He called Michael Smelly. Smelly. He says, <laughs> yes. sing him the line. And Michael sings the line. I sing it. He goes, good. You got it. And it was Prince's line that I got. But you were auditioned. You, but, but also, yeah. that line is fairly high in your range, if I'm not mistaken. Were you afraid of that line, or were you just, you felt it? What's that now? Were you afraid of the line? Because it's it's higher in your range, I think. I just than, went for you it. You just I, went for yeah, it? Yeah, he sang it, and I sang it back. I yeah. love it. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I was so, I mean, that is kind of like a fog for me. I was so nervous. You can imagine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. there's your, look, look at me. It was Bruce Springsteen, right. Bob Dylan, Ray Stevie Charles. Wonder, Ray Charles. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd. Forget Dan. about it. <laughs> <laughs> is that correct? Dan Aykroyd, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wasn't Stephen Bishop there, too? No, no. I th- it was someone. Somebody like really odd was just it like was Dan Aykroyd. He was the odd one out. Oh, okay. Because it was USA for Africa, and he's Canadian. Waylon Jennings. <laughs> Waylon was there. Waylon Jennings was he there. Did, he did not have a good time. Really? <laughs> he was. He was upset. He was upset. And he and he walked in the middle of the deal. He split. Oh wow! Are you serious? <laughs> well, St- Stevie at some point wanted to s- the background vocals to be in Swahili. Say what? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I remember so, hearing about that. So we we he got we sent out for two African gals who knew who could speak Swahili, <laughs> who could translate the background vocals. And when they came into the studio, and they and we're all standing around, they stand there. Okay, now what does this say? This in Swahili, and he went <laughs> or something like that. And, and at this point, at this point, Ray Ray, Ray, Ray Charles goes. Oh, no. Ray's over here. Ray goes. Ring the bell, Quincy. <laughs> Ring the bell. Is that any good? <laughs> is, is that any good? You know, in, there was a break. That's fucking awesome. There was a break. There was a break in the action. Right. And now we're taking a break, and and I'm just shadowing Ray Charles. Is what I did the whole right. night. Yeah. I just stand three feet away from him, just checking him they out. They call that stalking and now. So, stop, stop. <laughs> shadowing. Oh, no, stalking him. But, but he now sits down at the piano and starts playing. This kind of blues thing, and he goes, "Hey Q, remember this one?" And he's playing like that. And Quincy looks at me and he goes, "You know, Lionel Richie wasn't even born when we cut that song." <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh he, man. Because you know they did it in Seattle, right? You and him, right? Yeah, it's been pretty cool. Dang you! And uh, now I'm now I'm talking to Willie Nelson oh. over there, <laughs> and he's going, he's going, "Hey, I, I hear you play golf." I said, "Yeah, I just started. It's fun to do on the road." He goes, "Yeah, that's what we do." I said, I just, you put your clubs on the bus? I said, yeah. We put our clubs on the bus and we play. He said, yeah, that's what we're doing too. And we're talking like, and Bob Dylan comes over, walks over and he goes, are you guys talking about golf? (laughs) I said, yeah. He goes, wow, that's outrageous. (laughs) I said, said, no, no, Bob. Nashville skyline was outrageous. (laughs) This is just golf. (laughs) Is this officially the first time that you're meeting your peers or okay so was there any bonding in your career to that point with notable celebs like you weren't bffs with the guys from toto or nick low i mean you know (laughs) nick low yeah 
But Dylan wrote me a really nice note, man, at the end of the deal. Wrote me, sent me, and he sent me a song. Really? He sent me a song that I didn't cut. Whoa. Which is a complete mistake. Don't, <laughs> note Bob to Dylan self. Sends you a when cut, Bob cut Dylan it. sends you a song, <laughs> you cut do it. it. Cut it. <laughs> you do it. Did somebody else end up cutting it? No, no. I never heard it. I never heard it. So, but he also sent me a Junior Parker song. <laughs> he 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 was great. He wrote me a really nice note. He's smart, you know. Uh, Bob Bob Dylan is smart. <laughs> so okay, I have a question now. Having joined uh, Columbia House, I always always say that also my education comes from the fact that I never sent the records back when I got them at Columbia House. So it's like. When, do you know what Columbia? No, I do. You're not supposed to send them back. I do. I'm about to say you're not supposed to send. You are supposed to send them back. If you don't want something, then you, you, you have thirty days. You have thirty uh, days to send it you back. You just never pay for them. That's what the. <laughs> that's what the. Was. Oh, that. Oh, the yeah. scam. No, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have hustle with me. <laughs> so that said, and having having all all of your 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 records, I'm now noticing that with the massive amount of units sold for sports. Usually people figure out, okay, I'm going to do the departure record, like the opposite of it, which I'm going to say for small world. But you guys actually decided to keep up the stamina with four. So how hard was it to live up to that pressure? Like, okay, now we're in the machine. Like, I feel like breaking in is hard, but staying there is even harder. (laughs) Very, very perceptive, man. You're very perceptive, really. I actually told him to ask you that. <laughs> Steve! Yeah. Well, that might be true. <laughs> no, it isn't. No, no it is. And, 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 no, it, no, I meant... <laughs> yes, it is. Stop, Steve. Stop. Stop. His name's Continue. on the show. No, because it's rare. It's... I can name a few instances. I mean, Where Lionel someone... Richie tried to follow... With, 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 with Can't Slow Down and Dancing That's on the Ceiling. Yeah. With Thriller and Bad. Sports... For anyone else, does the departure record yeah. next? Yeah. So well, what? That, what was that, your mind state of okay? We got to come back the same or? Well, this is because this is economics here. Because in in back in those days, you know, it wasn't it was wasn't wasn't internet and all that stuff. So if you sold a big, if you had a big record, your next record was going to ship. You know. A million units right out of the box. Mm-hmm. So the idea was hit them while they're hot. Make your next record as soon as you can, and no matter what. And and that's and that's how you make it. You know, we, so we sold you know ten million copies of sports. Well, four was was already going to go four million no matter what it was like. Right. So that was a problem, you know, because we we had to and and they were honest for deadline. Wanted them, and you know you got to write the songs. It's hard to write and. So that was a, a tough record to make for us. We were struggling, and we wound up over here in in the power station, fini- finishing off under deadlines with two studios going and singing in one and playing guitar in the other and mixing in a third. And it wasn't wasn't a fun record to make because you're right, we did it really to just capitalize on our success, you know. But I think there's an art to not overthinking it. And that's why. Now the thing is, do you, with with the with the words that Brett Ellis wrote for American Psycho, right? Did you feel as though they were being sarcastic, or do you feel? I feel as though 
he wrote that in truth as far as four being your most accomplished records in the in the I, I thought he did. A, it was amazing. I read. The, I heard about it. I read the book. Right. And, and he had these little dissertations, not only on us, but Phil Collins and Tina. And he nailed it, I thought. I mean, he was clearly a fan. And he was, he understood, you know, I mean, I thought he did a pretty critical job. And then they asked us for the film. Right. Would would he, uh, could, would we, could they use the tune? Right. And I knew the book, I knew the story and all that. Okay. I said, sure. Well, it's William Defoe, right? Yeah, I love William Defoe, and uh, it's an art Christian thing. Christian Bale and, So right. I said, no problem. You got it. And they, and they paid us, and they got the song. Then what happened was maybe a month before the song, the, before the movie was released, they said, to, they came to my manager and said, they want to do a soundtrack. And he said, well, great, what that's gonna, what's that going to look like? And it was, it was hip to be square. I think there was a Phil Collins tune, mm-hmm. and the rest was like source music. Mm-hmm. It was like a kind of a crappy record. You know, it wasn't going to be a great album, the album. And so my manager said- It's best sa- to just buy your record, too. Huh? It's probably best to just buy your album yeah. so, as opposed so to- So my manager said to me, he says, what do you think about this? They want to do a soundtrack album. I, I said, well, that's not going to be fair to our fans. I mean, fans are going to buy that for what, for one song? I mean, that's just, I, do we have to do that? He says, no, no, it's not a part of the deal. They just they just mentioned it. I said, yeah, let's politely decline, which he did. Mm-hmm. So now, on the eve of the release of the movie, that literally, they send out a press release, press release yeah. that says that Huey Lewis has pulled his tune from the soundtrack because the movie is too violent. Trying to gin up attention for the ah. movie, really. And I thought, mm. ah, come on, fellas. <laughs> Please. Not cool. You know? Not cool. Showbiz. So they got to check for that. <laughs> well, let's go back to Back to the Future. Um, which, by the way, can I say that I did not realize that you had a cameo in that movie until like a week ago? Excellent. You didn't know he was the, the I did audition not guy? I did not realize that was you. Yeah. <laughs> That was the idea, really, to just kind of disguise me, and it was Zemeckis's. Well, it worked. It took thirty years for me to realize. Me too. It worked. Apparently, the disguise was pretty good. So, well, I just wasn't expecting it to be you. You know. Yeah. With with how you treated music videos and your your Hollywood looks, you could have been the Clooney of videos. Ah. Well, the why vi- did you not explore acting further in? Or were you loyal to the guys and I don't want to leave them out there? And Yeah, we were doing what we wanted to do. We were writing our songs and selling out venues everywhere. We, everything was great, you know. And the video thing is funny because we actually did our own. We did a, a, there was an outfit called Video West in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. The first video camera ever, videotape. This is brand new. This was 78, brand mm-hmm. new. And so she said, we'll video a couple of your songs or a song if we can show it on our Video West program that and on cable. Right. Cable was new. All this stuff was new. I said, sure. So we And you can have the video. So we shot the video. They showed it. And the video helped us get a record deal. And when we got the record deal, we had Do You Believe in Love was our second single. And now the record label decided, I mean, it was our first single off, the, off the, that record, our second album. That we and we by this point we were making our own re- we were producing our own records we produced our second record picture this ourselves mm-hmm. and so but they decided that we needed a professional video and so they hired an ad agency guy to do the do you believe in love video and mm-hmm. 
the set was all in pastels and Matt, we had kind of pastel shirts that they were kind of matching with makeup, you know, and a little rouge on our cheeks and stuff. This is the video where the five of us are in bed with a girl and all this stuff. And so they shot this video all day and night. And now we go home. And now two weeks later, we go back for the playback. And we go back in the, and at to Christmas Records and a bunch of people from the record company, a bunch of people from the video company, my band, a bunch of our guys, and probably 30 people in the room. And so they say, okay, here's the new video. And they shut off the lights and they play the video. And my, I, my, I just sank. My heart just sank. I was so terrible. I just what? couldn't believe it. It was just horrible. I just thought, there was no direction. The guy wasn't singing to the camera. Was he, was he singing to? What's going on here? The whole thing was a mess, I thought. And and we looked silly with the rouge on our cheeks and the, <laughs> all that stuff. I said, this Ooh, is horrible. Almost and, the Billy Squire route. And I remember thinking, oh, this is <laughs> this is terrible. This is horrible. And the video ends, and everybody stands up and applauds. Got a standing ovation. <laughs> so I thought to myself, anybody can do this. We're doing our own records. We need to do our own videos. So from then on, we did our own videos. And the idea was, don't ape the song. Don't have anything to do with the song. If the song zigs, make the video zag. Uh, don't tell, don't retell the story, and and just goof. And we did them in San Francisco, on different sides of Petrero Hill, almost, just to let the let the seagulls and the ocean let that be the be the production stuff. Let the, let chew the scenery, and that was the theory. And, that, and we did a bunch of them that way. We did one new drug. If this is it, uh, uh, stuck with you. Bad is bad. <laughs> All these were done in the same. Manner and same place. I gotta interrupt you because I just thought about something. I can't. I can't count the amount of times I filled the kitchen sink with water and did that. <laughs> I said, it I'm sorry. Oh, that's right, because he got the big. Well, yeah. so one of the opening scenes of I Want a New Drug is you know filling yeah. up a, the the sink with yeah. yeah with uh, water and the ice water and you know, and you know where I swipe I swipe that right I stole where. Paul Newman, Harper. Ah. The opening scene of Harper and Paul Newman. He wakes up hungover. Right. Puts ice in the sink. Puts his head in the ice. <laughs> I never. Oh, wow. Was it but cold? You... Was it cold? <laughs> Steve, shut up. Shut up, Steve. It was unbelievably cold. And what? This is what people Steve. want to fucking know. <laughs> no, trust me. It was unbelievably cold. Okay. It really See? was. It was Frighteningly cold. cold. Um, Huey, I really wish I knew you back early in my career because- this is the second thing that I never thought about until right now, that sometimes you should just make a video for a song that has nothing to do. Yeah. I never thought of that whatsoever. Because we're overthinkers. We want to stay out of the way of the song. I was always, I always thought, of, you know, why do we have to retell this story? Songs tell a story. And I always say, much in the way a good book is better than the movie, a good song is always better than the video, video. for the same reason. Damn. So I've never thought of that, and it's now way too late. So can I? Can I? <laughs> Why well, Aerosmith our videos? We just never appear in our videos now. So can I follow up? Yes. Um, so Nick Lowe. With that, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Back to the future. So, so now, with with um, with with that theory of yours with the videos, and now you're supplying songs to a movie. Did you use that same theory, like? 
power of love is not necessarily telling the same story. Exactly. As- yeah, real Steve. What happened was uh, Steve Spielberg, Bob Zemeckis, and Bob Gale asked to take a meeting with us at Amblin in, at Amblin in L.A. We went there and we took a meeting, and Zemeckis said, look, we've just written this film uh, called Back to the Future, and uh, our hero, our lead character, is a guy called Marty McFly. And his favorite band would be Huey Lewis and the News. So we thought, how would you like to write a song for the film? And I said, wow, I'm flattered. I don't know, I don't know how, what writing for film means. <laughs> I said, you know, I've never written for film, don't have any idea. I said, and besides, I'm not too keen on writing a song called Back to the Future. And they said, oh, we don't care what you call it. We just want one of your songs. So I said, okay, I'll send you the next thing we write. Wow. Which was, was Power it, Love. Wow. It was literally the next thing you wrote after that phone call. That was the next thing we wrote. Wow. Really? Yeah. But then Back in Time was written specifically And then they for the said music. they wanted another song for the credits. And I, by then I'd seen the film. I hadn't seen it. And so I wrote that as, you know, specifically for that. All right. So my, my overriding question with regards to... Those songs. My name is true. Was Elvis Costello uh, there? <laughs> no, I mean, so we we understand that that they they you got the the cameo in the movie based on probably your video acting and your Hollywood good looks, as Questlove pointed out. <laughs> um, man, he is an attractive dude, man. He sure is. And and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but probably got the the gig for the songs because you were like the biggest band happening at that moment and and yes i guess marty mcfly would be a fan yeah um but but there's something else going on there's something that makes you like super perfect mm-hmm. and those songs like it seems like the, it's meshing in a way that's more than just a regular mesh like it seems like the, like interesting that's like very interesting like you wrote the songs for the film but well, you didn't <laughs> no just like the combination of you and michael j fox and yeah, whatever right. they did in that movie it just seems like it's perfect. You know, I, I have a theory about that, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, it's interesting in, in that, you know, and Zemeckis always said that. He he always credited, you know, Power of Love, the song, was released before the film. And they released the song, and it went to number one. It t- takes like nine weeks or mm-hmm. something to get to number one. And then, and so the, they released the movie when Power Love was number one. Mm. And Zemeckis already, uh, uh, to this day, we have a reunion sort of every five years, and he says it was the best marketing come out ever. You know, you, you got a number one song. But, and and the interesting part about it is, for me, is that the fact that it had, when I when I wrote the song, when we wrote the song, and, and, and I sent it to Zemeckis, I didn't think it was going to work for them because there was no love object in the film. By that point, I'd read the script, at least. I hadn't seen it, but I read the script. And there was no, I didn't think it was going to work. But they used it in the chase scene, and I think, and I've 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 thought about this subsequently. When when a song is is not uh, when you don't retell the story, it's it's an it's its own story, and it only it only is relevant tangentially to the thing. Yet it it becomes another leg for that whole thing to stand on. In other words, it's better to have a song that stands on its own that's not exactly about the film. It's better for the film. 
Dude. Because it gives us, you get a good, strong song out of it. it so many times we write songs just for the yeah. film, and they're not, that's all they do. The it knowledge makes, he's dropping it's right like, now. It makes no sense, but all the sense. It makes perfect time. It yeah. makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned three, yeah. I've learned more it's like, from this episode of Questlove Supreme <laughs> yeah. like, what than you, I have in the other 100 plus like, episodes. What, what, what you just said, it almost just seems so obvious that you just kind of like want to ignore it because it just seems obvious that it can't be right. Right, but you've proven that it's that yeah because it's another it's contrast. It's another yeah. leg yeah. Of, of that. If yeah. you know what I mean, there's it, the, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So if someone asked you to write a song for a film now, what would you do? If I had to write a song for a film now, yeah, well, I'd probably do the same thing. Just write them a song. Just write a I song. mean, we have we have a musical that we're trying to get to Broadway. We we just put it up in in San Diego, mm-hmm. and I, I wrote a new song for that, and um, it was really kind of fun because. It's really fun to write for other situations than your own, right? A- a- another voice. All the time. It's, it's, it's really creative and, and easy uh, as opposed to writing for something that you want to say. You know? But speaking of musicals, how do you feel watching people take in your songs? that are, They're more or less the same songs but in a totally different genre. And watching, like, does, what, how does it make you feel as a songwriter? Very interesting. Good question. I... I, I um, that's why I. That's why I engaged in this musical. I had a friend of mine. Long story. They 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 wrote the script and uh, and we got it all up. And then, and I'm just, I was worried about how the songs were going to be handled. And so you know I was very careful about that because. But our our musical director is a guy called Brian Yusufer who worked on Kiki Boots and a bunch of other stuff. I know him very well. And he's absolutely brilliant. He again went against. Type with a song, where the song was like, like, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, hit me like a hammer, which is a male. He had a girls, girls, <laughs> girls sing it, and all this. So how they're handled is is super important. You're sure. right, and uh, and you got to be careful with that because it can be a little silly sometimes. Sure. So do you, go ahead. okay? Do you worry about do you worry about that? Because I'm coming from. I just got back from London two days ago. I'm working on a jukebox musical of similar ilk. And you worry about songs that were totally masculine based or totally male based, switching them over, or a song that was a fast. I think that's a good idea, to be honest. Right, is is to totally uh, avoid convert them or yeah, whatever. The, the zig word. when when the when the original zagged. Seriously, I think here's that's what I learned from Hugh Lewis: zig, fuck it, go zag. Yeah, that's, all I need. that's lesson number I love two. It. Okay, keep going. Sorry, that's lesson your number two. Your name's on the show. You you talk. Infiltrate, <laughs> then double cross. Number. That's a mic. Yeah, a mic dropping yeah. moment. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so I know how how attached you were uh, to based on your press the 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 small world album. Right. Did you feel? By the way, Rolling Stones' worst album of the year, Small World. Worst album of the year. I read that. Man, review. fuck I, Rolling Stone. How does that sound? <laughs> I don't know for their fucking shit over the years. Did you? Did you feel as though it was like? Is there a fear of riding too high, and you wonder? Okay, is this overkill? Is this overkill? Is this overkill? Yeah, yeah, no, no. You know, honestly, four. You called me. You got me on four. You know, four was an economic thing. We just rushed it out and tried to get it, capitalize on our momentum. Yeah, but, but a win is a win. But there's still hits there. There's some good songs. There's four on hits there. Yeah, 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 at least. But 
because we had a couple we had left over. But after that, <laughs> we honestly, and even that, even four to a certain extent, I since that time, I have never done anything for commercial reasons, period. That's a deal I made with myself. I said, look, you you know, you, you, you got to stay pure to your, just do stuff that matters to you, and that, and then you can't go wrong. Just, you know, integrity. And so that's what Small World was. We were trying to do, expand and do some other stuff. And, you know, the best part of that one is Stan Getz is solo. Stan Getz, yeah. I mean, he just killed that thing. And that's a kind of a funny story because my dad is a jazzer, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, Zoot Sims died. And, and so they had a tribute to him. At at uh, Kimball's, I think, or somewhere in in San Francisco, right? And um, wasn't Kimball's? It was the, the old jazz club. I can't remember it, but Bimbo's three sixty five. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Anyway, my old man loved all that stuff, so I secretly I got tickets for for him, and I said, "Pops, I got two tickets for the for the Zoot Sims benefit and Stan Getz and and uh, all they had all these guys." Mm-hmm. And so now, Jimmy Jones. What do you uh, uh, so now we go and we and they show me to and I I go in and they go oh my god Huey Lewis and my dad you know he didn't know anything from me he's, he's just <laughs> my he's my, You're my just dad, his little boy he, he's a hard dads no, are the best hardcore jazzer you know he, <laughs> he thought what I do is comic book stuff he <laughs> pays no yeah, attention. he loved the house though didn't he <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and the car but at first right. he paid no attention <laughs> so now we go and we get the two seats. And they put us down there right on the aisle. And who's sitting right next but next next to where I'm sitting is Phil Elwood, the critic from the from the San Francisco Examiner, who's a jazz critic. And my old man knows all kinds of I mean, he knows right. he can tell you Jimmy Lunsford's band. Okay. He knows every musician in Chick Webb's band. Wow. Okay. I mean, my old man knows jazz, you right. know, and he loves it. And so he sees Phil Elwood and Phil Elwood goes, Oh my God, Huey Lewis. And my old man goes, oh, my God, that's Phil Elwood. And he's recognizing who, he knows who my kid is. You know? <laughs> so now he and Phil Elwood are talking, and they're going about this, and Jimmy Lunsford and this, that, and blah, blah. And then I feel a tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, and it's Getz. Oh, shit. Wow. And, and Getz, is, he's wearing his horn, and he's tap. It, it's a, the house is it's kind of early, and he's wearing his horn, and he taps me on the shoulder. And, 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 he, and I go, I look up, and he goes, hey. Huey Lewis, yeah, Stan Getz. He says, my girlfriend wants to eat your shorts. <laughs> <laughs> what did your daddy? Wow. What do you say to that, right? So I just, well, he says, hey, you like hey, he says, hey, why don't you let me play on some of your shit? What? Was he he says, you know what? I can play that shit, too. No, he I can't, said, though. I was, oh, my gosh. Uh, sure. Uh, of course. Yeah. Uh, do you have a... Well, yeah. <laughs> Let me give you my card. He wrote on... He wrote Stan Getz, wrote his phone number and put, have sacks, will travel. <laughs> and gave me the card. But and on the ride home, my old man says to me, you know, he's got cancer and he's not going to be around very long. And if you don't take him up on that, I will never... Ever forgive you? And so I, I had to figure out a way to get guests on the record. Oh man, that oh shit! That is a great story. Question. Hugh Lewis, what kind of dad are you at this point? With your dad giving so much shit happening, yeah. like your dad has been like, go to Europe and fuck off for a year. 
don't forget to get Stan Getz on your record because that's a real statement that people say. What kind of father are you? Well, you got us, my Lewis. Yes, my kids. <laughs> Can we get them on the next quest of Supreme? Please, girls, up, girls, boys. I have a girl and a boy. Oh, okay. That's Dude, awesome. my son. Wait, works. hold on. With Stan Getz in my head, Stan Getz is the most laid back cat ever because all his playing is like that. Like if if Stan Getz was on a Huey Lewis record, you'd be like rocking. You'd get to the sax solo and it'd be like wah wah wah. wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. like, that's his vibe. But well, right? you also had Tower Power horns on this yeah. record yeah. as well, yeah. right? We Which is to, not we, Stan Getz. Right. <laughs> we, we had to find out. Um, uh, we had to find a song, and Chris. Hayes, our guitar player, wrote this little jam, and I thought this would be great. And first, so we we did a demo of it, and I talked it at first. I went all around the world. There are people like you and me, mm-hmm. from the poorest beggar in the street to the richest king and queen. While the boom, dum, 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 while the things wailing, and I was just kind of talking against it, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. I thought, right. and then and then and that's all we had. And we and I sent it to Getz. And he, he he said, "Great, I'll do it." So we made an appointment to do it, and then meanwhile we put Tower of Power on it. We had all the Tower of Power horns on it, and I sang it. I you know sang it instead of sp- spoken it. So he comes up to do it at the session. Comes to Studio D. He just drives up. He comes out. He puts on it. Gets his horn out. He goes out and thing. He starts playing. He goes, "Oh my God, it's in C sharp." I mean, it, it's in oh. uh, it's out it of range. You know, C sharp for for a, for a tenor. Right. So was B is, for you? Yeah. No. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. It's okay. B concert. Okay. Yeah. So B concert. Really? Was it in B concert? It's a whole step. It's tenor. I was what? a tenor player growing up. I wonder if we were. Sorry. B we're getting real. Oh, whatever. Right yeah. yeah. He said <laughs> <in> the quest <laughs> lesson. Like, Whoa. He says to me, "It's I in a it. funny key or something like that." And he can't. Well, C sharp's not a tenor key at all. Yeah, it yeah. sucks. So, but and I said, "Wow." Well, I didn't think of that. What? I guess we could try and VSO it or something. He says, really? What does that mean? I said, well, we can slow the tape down. You play. Oh, the very speed. So he yeah. says, okay, let's try it. So we tried to do that, uh-huh. and it sounded like a kazoo. A kazoo. You know? <laughs> and, and so he goes, not going to work. He says, don't worry about it. I'll just do it. He says, what? I said, you sure? He says, yeah. It's just a challenge for Super Jew. <laughs> and then he goes out. We say that all the time. And now, all the time. Now, now, now Getz goes out. And the, and he starts the thing, and oh my God! Mm. Clearly, he had shedded it. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was he was just fooling. He had sh- he had to shed it because oh, awesome. he played it. And and what was amazing is he he starts his solo and he's playing along real nice and all. And here comes Tower of Power. Bump bump bada bada da 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 You know, and they, these kind of lifts. And and I and the big one they goes bump bump bada. And so in his headphones, he's, going, he's, he's, he's playing along. And then, and then he hears. And he, and he goes. I mean, it was such a musical lesson watching him react to when, when stuff got busy. He went. He went, he went low. low. Yeah. When zagged. stuff was low, he got busy. I mean, when he was. It was unbelievable watching him play. Uh, one of the great experiences of my life. I mean, those are the most polar opposite things I've ever heard of, Tower of Power and Stan Getz. It's, it's still, and it was a seven-minute track, and I got the idea of splitting it up and making it first cut and last cut, which was a complete mistake. Should have kept the whole thing together. <laughs> really? Yeah, because his solo on there, which is part two, Mm-hmm. Is the best musical moment on that record by a long shot. I mean, wow, it's just really cool. He's just such a great player.
I just thought about something. And I know we got to wrap it up soon. Wait, I have one more question. I'm okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> what do you mean? You so, go, you're the boss. No, no, because I'm about to go to movies. Okay. I forgot. You're in a Robert Altman film. Sir. I love Lewis, Robert Altman. You're going so. to what? Move. No, no, no. I was like, you don't I'm, act I'm in about a Robert to, Altman film. No, no. That's what I'm saying. Oh. Like, you're. Before that bullshit. Um, <laughs> and Mr. Lewis, sir, uh, did you ever fuck with the chromatic harp? Because you're such a diatonic harp player, you're known for that. Like that, you always carry on like eight different harps and different keys and shit. Sorry, sorry. No, it's important. So, like, did Good you question. ever fuck with the chromatic harp? Yeah, I, I, but I, I what I do is play C chromatic in D minor in the third position. <laughs> Why is that sorry. funny, Bill? Can you explain that to the dummies? Because I don't know what you're laughing at. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that, that was a classic. No one would do that. That's okay. why it's interesting. No, all the old blues guys sometimes so, do that. Like, so, okay, so here's what you know. So, like, the, the average, I'll explain this in front of Huey Lewis, and I'll feel real <laughs> fucked up about it, but I'll try. <laughs> so, so a, 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 a harmonica has blah, 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 holes. It's in a, in a specific key, and it's diatonic, means it's in a scale. So, it's like C or D or E or F. So, most, so let's take for a bad example, like, John Popper of Blues Traveler is carrying around 800 different harmonicas and different keys, so they can play in different keys. A chromatic harmonica is like something that Stevie Wonder plays, which has a little button on the side, so you can go blah, 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 blah but you can always, you can play uh, all 12 notes, you get 12, 12 different notes. notes, whereas the other ones are just eight notes. Mm -hmm. Although, unless you're Howard Levy. Right, unless you're, How wow, that was wow. a deep cut. Unless you're <laughs> Howard Levy, a great, great, or Toots, or like one of these guys. All right, so anyway. I only know Toots and Leo yeah, Oscar. Well, Toots was Toots. on the original Sesame theme. We're going to go real deep. Right. But anyway. This uh, is such a great music so, class. So, so, so. So Huey is known as not a chromatic player, but a guy who would, would did you carry around a bunch of different harps? Is that yeah. What you, yeah. Okay. So 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 uh, Huey Lewis and the News tunes are written in A and E and somewhere in C minor. Like there's some weird shit. So you'd have to adjust the harmonic you're playing for the song that you're playing in. So he would carry around. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, I'm going to tell Huey Lewis his business while he's sitting right here. <laughs> that like he would play. He's had a bunch of different harmonicas and different keys. And so if you have a chromatic harmonica, the idea is that you only would have one. Exactly. Right. Okay. Now you should talk. But you have to, <laughs> but you, you have to be a much better player than I am. I mean, you're. But did it matter yeah. at that point? I mean, like, no. Uh, you know, all you need is the chops to say what you need to say. And and what is it that you want to say? You know, fuck. I wish I said that. There's there's, ham, there's hamburgers and there's foie gras. You know. Oh, and, yeah, I mean, so what? Really, whatever. I mean, you know, it's 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 all creative. Yeah, dude, man, man, Huey's like, my spirit animal. I would, man. Can we have Huey all the time? Every time, I love Huey might be like the greatest. Yeah. Ever. I love Huey Lewis. I, love I know Huey Lewis. Huey might be the new Fonte. <laughs> Wait, did I just say that? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> it's okay. Fonte would be good with it. Oh God. All right, wait. I, I just want to get to movies while we have a couple minutes left. Don't forget that I he's, forgot. A, he's a miracle too, because we have to get to that. Yes, we'll okay. get to that. Okay. So with. You, how did you get the role in short? I'm such a Robert Altman fan. I forgot you're in Shortcuts. How did you get that role? Good uh, his well, amazing good looks, Questlove. What's that? His amazing good looks. His Hollywood good looks. <laughs> we, um, I, they, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know how I got the. I think it was, I think it was my eight. Uh, Bill Robinson was a, is an agent, mm -hmm. and I think he was he was he was Altman's agent, and then he. He he was a fan of mine, and he said, "Look, I'll be your agent." I said, "Well, I don't need an agent. I don't do anything." He said, "Well, <laughs> let me just be your agent, just in case." As well, so then he he got me the gig, to to or the audition or whatever mm -hmm. it was. So what I did is I went out to Santa Monica, and just talked to Robert Altman, and he he invited me and he sat me down. and He said, 
uh, do you you're you fisherman, right? You you fly fish? I said, yeah. He says, cool. He said, look, Matt, let me give you a scenario. He says, two guys, go, uh, three guys are going to go on a fishing trip. He says, and they go on a fishing trip, and they've been worried about it for like a year. They've been planning for this trip. It's a big deal. And they they got to pack in all the way, and they pack in all the way, and they get in there in the evening, and they set up camp, and one of the guys goes to take a leak. I was going to say. He, he, he goes to take a leak in the river <laughs> and sees a dead body. Right. He says, uh, and so what what are you going to do? He says, and meanwhile, the fish are rising like crazy, and it's nighttime. What are you going to do? I said, Probably fish. He said, <laughs> he said, you got the gig. <laughs> Wait, it's been a minute since I've seen Shortcut. Wasn't that full frontal? Who? I remember one of you taking a piss. Me. Was it full frontal? Full frontal. Oh, good for you. Yeah, I was going to say, there was something you about two. you about <laughs> Only for Altman. Only for oh, Altman. I was going to say, wait. Show now that I remember, there was something very unusual. Oh, that's right. You definitely had to face the camera as you were taking a piss. Actually, Pornhub. Wait, are you serious? She's really Probably. getting on Pornhub Holy right now. Holy shit. Probably. Yeah, no, yeah. she's getting on Pornhub right now. You know now. I am. Welcome. You know I love that spot. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but but he, with do wet. Yeah. And why his favorite? The, well, you, n- no, I was telling them earlier that you were the only reason that I saw duets. I was I I, I was a big Huey fan. Wow, yeah. that's sweet. Yeah, because I was like, Huey was going to be the star of a whole movie? Fuck yeah, because that was your first, like, biggest, yeah, your was, biggest yeah, role. Right. I'm going to support my how man. Did you, how did you... <laughs> How did the <laughs> same thing? I read for the part with with Bruce Paltrow. You know, Gwyneth's yeah. dad directed it, right? And then they, uh, they had apparently tried to make it earlier with, but they couldn't find the right Ricky Dean. So with not, he, not Huey Lewis, and so they they boom, and, and he he, gave, he uh, you know he cast me, oh, okay. and we and then they said we want you to sing a song. I said great. Um, he says the song. The song in the script was "Song for You," Leon Russell, ah. and uh, and they changed. She's but Gwyneth's going to change the song. I said oh. no problem. So now I get the part. We're going to film it in Vancouver in like five months. But I get a call that Gwyneth has chosen the song uh, "Cruising." She has chosen the song. It's a Smokey Robinson tune. I went great. Which Smokey Robinson tune? "Cruising." I never. <laughs> I I didn't know. I didn't know the song, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, well, send it to me, and we'll check it out. They sent it to me. I said, okay, I got it. Let's, um, uh, I called them back. I said, sounds great. Let's, let's, get, we need to get together around a piano and pick a key and all. Oh, no, we already cut it. Uh, I said, <laughs> really? Uh, another We Are the World situation. <laughs> what, what, what key did you cut it in? They said, original key. I said, okay. So I listened to it, and it's super high, you right. know. So I, uh, so I fashioned this other part together, and then we went down there, and- now we got into the studio, Gwyneth and me, and forty-five other people. Of course, you know, no, like with makeup Movies. people and camera people, oh, and then record companies and blah blah. blah. And Larry Klein produced it, and he did a great job. And and she just sang her butt off, man. She can really sing that girl. That Were was the surprised? first time we heard it. Yeah, it was the first time I heard it. Yeah. Were you surprised it went number one? Yeah. I, you know what they did is they messed yeah. up on the film. What they should have done is the power, power love, release it, yeah. let it go, then release the movie. They released the movie and the song at the same time, uh, and the movie went right. And then two months later, the song was number one. <laughs> right. 
So his cruising did better than D'Angelo's cruising. <laughs> that's actually a question. Yes, There's no shade. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's very okay. No, it is there. I'm just saying, you know. Well, you know, it's D'Angelo's was great. D'Angelo got that Simpsons placement, so he's cool. He yeah. did? Yeah. Yeah. When? There there's a, I think like Marge and Homer are riding around in a car and the cruising is on the radio. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. How do you know that? It's the Simpsons. Yeah. It's okay. Boss Bill. <laughs> it makes good. sense. So I okay, I do have to ask you. Um with with having trouble with your your hearing right now. When was the beginning of you this is weird because I just got my ears cleaned out today. How does that happen? For was it just years of abuse on your eardrums, or uh, they the the and the answer is they don't know. Uh, um, but this I is have, recent, right? This is like the last year and change. It's not like year and nine months. You year and nine months. Mm-hmm. Year and nine months. I've actually I've been diagnosed with something called Meniere's disease. It's first for me. It started thirty five years ago. I got vertigo so bad I couldn't do a gig one time. Had to go to the hospital, and then they gave me a Thorazine suppository, and then I was fine. And then five years later, I had another vertigo bout. Then suddenly I lost my hearing in my right ear, like maybe 25 years ago, 20 years ago. Went to see my ENT guy. He says, get used to it. I said, what? Whoa. Says, it happens. He That's says, not you, cool. You only need one ear. I said, what, well, what do you mean? I'm a musician. He said, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix had one ear. Wait, what? Brian what? Wilson had one ear. No, wait, wait, wait. He says, I have one ear, and I'm in a barbershop quartet. I said, really? So yeah, he says, you only need one. I said, all right. So I went home, told my wife that I, I he said, get used to it. She says, you can't do that. You got to go to UCSF, get second opinion. I went and got tested up and down. They couldn't, nobody knows anything about this. So now, a year and nine months ago, I lost my other ear. When it, before a gig, just went deaf. And um, I have a particularly acute case of Meniere's disease. Meniere's disease is a is a syndrome based on symptoms, which means they really don't know what it is. It's um, um, it, you know, if you have vertigo, hearing loss, fullness in your ears, and tinnitus, they call it Meniere's disease, but they don't know what it is. I've been everywhere from. Stanford Ear Institute, House Ear Institute, Mayo Clinic, UCSF, Mass General Eye and Ear, no help. I've had chiropractic, I've had uh, acupuncture, I've had low-salt, all-organic diet, no caffeine, no chocolate, essential oils. You know, I've tried everything. I've been to the, been to all the holistic, I've, nobody knows anything. And yet my hearing fluctuates still, but it's episodic. It's weird. It, it'll be okay for like... For eight days, it'll okay. Still crappy, but it's but and then I'll then I'll go a week, almost completely deaf, almost entirely deaf. What is that like? Especially when music is your well, forget music. I don't even think about music. It's worse than that. I think about being able to exist because when I can't hear speech, when I'm bad, right now I'm one to ten. I'm a four. I've only been as good as six ever. And and I'm a four, which is good, but I can be one or one and a half. When I'm one and a half or two, I can't hear anything, and so uh-huh. I exist in a cocoon, and it's 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 okay. But I um, you're better off by yourself, so there's nobody not to hear. And I read, and I write, 
you know, I'm writing some stuff and and that's all that's that's what I do. I haven't watched television in a year and nine months. Probably a good I thing. I haven't listened to music in, in, in almost two years. Ooh. The performance thing must be clearly an issue then, but like uh when you're at like a six, I was I was we were watching your the teaser for your documentary. Is uh is singing versus harp playing can't different because of the because of the vibrations of the harp can you feel it in your head versus singing is different the, the, no or is it the, all the same no it's all the same and, okay. and, and in fact instrument playing an instrument in many ways like harmonica is almost worse because you know when you bend a note you need pitch yeah. and you can't find pitch when when i have a, a bass part which would sound bow 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 goes to me it sounds everything that's what you're hearing through a blown speaker oh interesting and you have to fight for pitch you can't find pitch forget fun you know like (laughs) what a a song is fun you're in the middle of it it's just playing itself you know Mm. what i mean you're singing or playing and it's playing itself that that never happens once if i'm a six and somebody plays quiet cocktail piano kind of thing i can almost sing mm-hmm. but but the point's moot because i can't book a gig ahead of a time. month ahead because yeah. i don't know what i'm gonna be like got it shit wow boy that's your cast the ball <laughs> over here. Hey, no but you got no, a brand new it's... record so you you got that done that must have felt good to make that happen right you, i said you got a brand new record, record and you got that done so that uh, yeah. must have felt good well to me. i had we had this these were seven tunes on our new record that we had cut before this happened ah, okay and okay. When I, I, we were just taking our own sweet time. We we're doing 75, 80 shows a, a year and trying to stay out of the limelight while we make another record, just keeping everybody alive, figuring the longer we stay away, the better if we're good when we come back. And my band, we were as good as we've ever been two years ago. We were still improving. And, um, but now that this happened, you know, we figured what, and so, and we were recording songs. Along with, I mean, some of these songs we've been playing for ten years, you know, right. then, but we record them a little bit as we went because we have lives as well, you know. And doing seventy-five shows, you don't have a lot of time to get in the studio. Right. But we had these seven songs done, so now when this happened, we said, "What the hell? Let's release the song." So, well, I was going to say, are you big on vacations? But I guess living in Montana—that's sort of like your your quiet place. Your, yeah, I mean, now how does it feel to slow down and just? It, 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 well. You know, I, I miss I mi- I don't miss doing five shows a week. You know, right? But I miss doing one, and and I miss my the, my, my guys. You know, the, the the camaraderie of of all that we did together. I miss that, and uh, and I feel bad for my twenty five guys who you know are gone, and 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 the fans have been great. I mean, the 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 letters and stuff, the support I get. You know, it's funny because you do this stuff. You know, just day to day, mm-hmm. and you don't think about your impact or any of that crap. I don't. You don't think about it at all. And now that I'm not doing it day to day, and I get these letters and stuff, wow. You know, it's really moving to. Say, I mean, people who have cancer, people who have, you know, who've lost people and all that stuff. How your music consoles them and so on. So it's really a wonderful thing. So I try to remind myself that I have, in spite of this. Lots to be thankful for, you know. And it, there's always somebody up worse off. So, you know, the church, amen. 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 Yeah. Well, you didn't know you was a joy bringer, Huey Lewis. Yeah.
You heard what I said? What'd you say? I said, I said you, didn't, you didn't know you were a joy bringer. It's funny because I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you for the last two hours, and I was like, Huey really doesn't understand the impact of his music and how certain None. it's only it's None. a select like, amount of bands or artists who can evoke such joy that whatever you're doing at that moment when their song comes on, happiness. Everything like, just stops, and sweet. that's oh, that's y'all. Like that's in, sweet. In, in prepping for this interview, you know, you I go through the cat, go through the catalog, you know, and I'm listening to songs, and I'm like, damn, I haven't heard this song in a long time. And then, like, you know, like, um, heart and soul came on, and happiest moments of my life. Yeah, I'm like, I like I I the song came on, and I vividly remembered. Like, I used to sleep with the radio on when I was a kid, and I remember that song coming on, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning when the, when right. the song came on, <laughs> and the first lyric in the song, yeah, it's 2 o'clock, and then, like, all that shit just came rushing back, and then, like, um, Jacob's Ladder comes on, and I'm like, fuck, I remember driving down this, riding down this street, you know, it's just like, you're the soundtrack of my fucking life. Yes, yes, me too. Are, like, everyone. You're very sweet yeah. to say that. You're very, very sweet, and that means well, a lot. It really we, does. We mean it. Thank yeah. you very we much, Huey. Yeah. Not at all. Thanks. Well, on this behalf is, of the uh, the Supreme Team, my uh, unpaid bill. That's boss, but that's okay. Boss bill. <laughs> I'll take it. Like the audience can see it. <laughs> Sugar Steve, we would like to thank you so yes. much for coming on the show. This yes. has been a major education. Oh, uh, it's been wonderful. It seemed like went by like that. It seemed like five minutes. No, it was amazing. Nah, it's yeah. a right here. If you're ever bored in Montana, you want to come hang out with us, you just come hang out with us. Yeah. Yes, yeah. What's that, sorry? Anytime you're in Montana and you're bored because there's lots of wildlife, you can come hang out with us anytime you want. <laughs> or if you're lonely and you just want us to come over your yeah, house. Yeah, we come to Montana too. <laughs> yeah. We like it. I got it. All right, here we go, y'all. Well, thank you very much, and we appreciate Thanks, it. Gary. Wait, wait, be before we Before we log off, yes. um, I just want to ask you, as, a, as the, the, the boss of all of us, can we have a couple shows off? That was a Huey Lewis reference, and it, it <laughs> failed horribly, and I will edit that out. <laughs> no, you won't. We keeping that. No. Yo, we will see you on the next go-round, y'all. This is Quest hey, Love that, Supreme. <laughs> that, that, that one wasn't as big a hit as it should have. <laughs> I, 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 I will say that is one of my favorite Huey Lewis in the new songs. Cool. I thought yeah, it was a good yeah, one, too. Yeah. <laughs> All I want is a couple days off. You yeah. know we're going to have to pay for that. <laughs> uh, 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 no, we don't. Anyway, <laughs> we'll see you on the next go-round, y'all. Thank you very much. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, 
or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.